Greetings and welcome to this special birthday edition of Lave Radio, otherwise known as episode 27. Lave Radio, for those that don't know by now, is a show that talks about the universe of Elite and the development of the latest game in the franchise, Elite 4, Elite Dangerous. I'm your host, second technician, Fozzer Forrester, and eating jelly and cake aboard the Orange Sidewinder with me this show are Station Commander Alan Stroud. Evening, Foz. Head of Entertainment, Chris Jarvis. Hello. Chief of Operations, John Stabler. Good evening. And Lave Radio Super Sub, Grant Woolcott. Mute button, Grant. <laughs> Paging I, Grant Woolcott. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> things Not are just, so super. <laughs> so th- things are just picking on me tonight. Just because I'm in a different program there where it's recording the audio and I press space, it stops and starts playing and it doesn't unmute me. Good, good evening. <laughs> <laughs> Happy birthday, guys. Congratulations for putting up with me for an entire year. This week, as it's a special week, I want to know what you've been up to this week. But I also want to know what is your favorite moment of the show in the past year and also the moment you wish you could put back in the box and make it so it never happened. Uh, Starting us off, we'll have Mr. Stabler. Saturday night, I had Elite Night with my brother. That was um, some great fun. Uh, I actually managed to put in the diary that I would sit down and actually play the alpha uninterrupted for 12 hours, which I kind of failed out. I think I did 12 hours. I I, I think in the end, I think it was 10 and a half. But um, yeah, yeah. No, what happened was uh, my brother said, oh, you have to come around my house. We can both play alpha, you know, no families or anything to interrupt our gaming time. So I did that on Saturday, and it was a good laugh. I mean, we had some really funny moments, but at the same time, it was kind of dogged by, you know, the problems of the alpha, such as uh, a couple of crashes and obviously this kind of instancing matchmaking issue. And unfortunately, we didn't get matched up with enough people to record any real decent footage. So I I, I guess before I can put my epic elite montage together, I'm going to have to wait for Alpha 3. And also, last night I took part in the first, well, I don't know if it's official, but uh, the first Federation versus Imperial battle in Endless War. Ah, interesting. Who was that with? There's two Facebook groups. Uh, one of them, the first one started was uh, the Federation group, which was basically, um, you know, just a way to hurl insults at Imperial people. Uh, and then, of course, an Imperial one set up. And so someone came up with the idea, um, and I'm sure we'll get to that later, to start up a battle in Endless War, which I took part in. Um, I think I met a couple of people. But again, same kind of problems I had on the Saturday night. So um, so that's what I was doing. Okay, and your um, your favourite moment from the show in the last year and also the one that you wish, apart from maybe the Facebook group, that you could put back in the box? The fave moment, I don't know, it, it's classed as a show, LaveCon. So, sorry, I'm going to be the one to steal that and say that LaveCon was definitely my fave moment. It was great to actually organise something. Well, what started off as a simple meeting between three people, you know, we turned up and it was nice to see a room full of elite fans. That was that was absolutely fantastic. Uh, my cringe moment will probably be the racist intro. <laughs> so, um, I mean, as soon as that happened, I wanted it back in the box. So, uh, until something beats that, that is my cringe moment of the first year. Surprisingly, it ranks up quite highly on my uh, my moment that I want to go back in the box as well, but never mind. Uh, let's go on to Mr. Jarvis. Well, obviously, this week, uh, I've been doing a lot of recording. We're, you know, we're, we're steadily getting the actors in and working our way through recording the uh, the narrative for the audiobooks and also managing to fit in some stuff for the Lave Revolution audio drama as well. Having done, I think, eight days back-to-back recording, 
Uh, I've also had a weekend off. So uh, I actually got to see my daughter for a bit, which was nice. And um, went to some, uh, it was my niece's fifth birthday. So she had a family party and then we had a swimming pool party and that was all good fun. Um, Favourite moment? Ooh, I should have thought about this more carefully. I don't know. My favourite moment is kind of a little bit selfish because not actually necessarily related to the podcast. But I think the point where we put Escape Velocity out and it was clear that as a project that was going to (laughs) work and that it wasn't a horribly bad idea that was kind of just in my head. I think once you put it out there and it kind of got a good reception, that was my kind of big moment of the year, I think. No, I um, think that works, mate, because I don't think you would have had, um, you wouldn't have really got Escape Velocity without, you know, first of all being on the show, would you? Well, no, 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 absolutely. And I think it kind of, you know, the, the, I suppose the point for me where it started was where we were playing around with the, um, when we did the earlier, the kind of adverts and stuff that we used to make and put in. And I think, I think from doing the adverts, it became a sort of, you know, the idea was there that, hey, we could do something with this. Um, and then having recorded the first episode of Escape Velocity in it, it kind of went down well. That was, that, that was a big thing. And the, uh, the worst moment in the last year on the show for you? My, my worst moment is probably uh, just, just because I'm so bad with names. I am really, really bad with, with remembering names. And I think we did an episode, I'm not even sure if it made the air, but I think I made some comment. It made it very obvious. I wasn't totally sure who Michael Brooks was at the time. <laughs> And I think, to be fair, you know, to be fair, I hadn't been involved in the elite Kickstarter. I hadn't been around in the community at that point. And there were, in the first sort of three or four podcasts, there were an awful lot of names doing the rounds. And I had, I had not yet learned who everybody was. Yeah, that, that, was, that was a bad moment. That was, that was the one I would, because it's just, I always get shown up by my, I don't know if it's lack of attention to for names or what. But yeah, that's, that's the one I could uh, do with clawing back. <laughs> Especially now. especially now you brought it back up again (laughs) Um, Station Commander Mr Stroud what Mm. have you been up to? An update for Labour Revolution just uh, saying how the project's going on the director for the film is now selected congratulations to Marcus Baxter he's off to uh, start planning uh, his contribution to to the project which is great so uh, we had a bit of a meeting on Friday which was nice work because I twisted somebody's arm decided to buy an Oculus Rift which has been fantastic. So I've spent most of the last week testing and demoing bits and pieces with that with some of the other academic staff and sort of playing around with it myself and having a go at it on uh, on Elite Dangerous. So, uh, so it was all very good fun. Been writing. Didn't get the uh, the Dark Crystal um, gig, which uh, I was a little disappointed at, but, you know, these things happen. So that kind of spurred me over the weekend and uh, and I started writing again. So I've started on another project, which, uh, which is all good. So uh, probably more about that. I would say in the next week because John and I are, are setting up to do a writer's interview later in the week. So uh, we'll talk a bit more about that, I expect then. What else have I done? Not much, really. I mean, well, you know, I, I haven't really stopped. Marked some stuff today, presentations, all go, really. So, yeah, oh, PhD stuff. Yeah, I've, I've done some stuff on my PhD, which has been good. Cool. And your your favourite moment in the last year on the show and also your worst moment? Favourite would probably be Darth Maul. <laughs> because it was just such a great long joke and your reaction was priceless um and we built it up for a couple of weeks although there are there are several very good ones after that that we did um you know the the hold music for the um uh for the vending machines has to be a highlight as well i just sat there when i was when i was writing those uh sketches and just finishing them off and sitting there thinking can i get away with this i've just done two minutes of people listening to a rubbish piece of music and yeah it was fine you know and i did it four times in the same you know which was was no it worked so it was good worst gotta be my my science faux pas 
which <laughs> everybody picks up on. And actually, it, it, it irritates me a little bit, really, in that um, it irritates me in that it irritates me about you know the fact that um, that it that I made the uh, the gaff, as it were, um, particularly because it's one of those things that. Um, science fiction writers really, really struggle with. Larry uh, Niven, in, in when he was doing Ringworld, uh, when the first draft of Ringworld came out, um, some of the science was not good. And a few of the, the readers really, really took him to task on it. And, um, and you know, they had, to, they had to do some major corrections very early on. And, uh, and that, was, that was very difficult for him uh, when those books first came out. And then, obviously, it went on to be an amazing success and everything else. But, yeah, no, it, it, is, it is actually something that um, much as, yeah, you know, I mean, at the end of the day, I said it and I, I you know, I sort of I went back over it and, and corrected what was there. But um, it is something that you do worry about because, you know, as a writer, you kind of want people to have confidence in you choosing to write. And um, certainly if I, you know, I, I, I pride myself on researching stuff, so I, I, I probably just shouldn't have said anything off the cuff. If it, help, if it helps, mate, I've forgotten what it was. So yeah, there we are. <laughs> that's at least that's at least one person who can't remember. I, I, I can't ever forget because everyone reminds me all the time. Yeah, I, I think you, I think you basically are suffering from the uh, from Mary Poppins syndrome a little bit, mate, with the uh, community because you know, mm. you know you're practically perfect in every way. So when you do make uh, you know, when you do make a faux pas, they, they they love to sort of needle you about it for a little bit, <laughs> which is fine. You know, at the end of the day, I'm a big boy. I'm quite happy to you know to to take it. It's all good. Great. Is that a quote for the archive? <laughs> well, um, I'm not going to live that one down for a while either, am I? <laughs> was, so we'll save that for the two years. Shall, shall I? Shall I add? I'm accommodating. Would that help? You know. <laughs> oh dear. Uh, we haven't even got through the intro yet. Okay, Mister Mister Wolcott, what have you been up to this week, and what's your favourite moments of the last year? Well, it's been a relatively busy week, actually. We're still preparing for a move in the next month. We're actually meant to have keys and start the move now, but they've not finished the renovations next door, so we can't go yet, and we're just waiting with bated breath for these keys to become available to us so that we can actually start the move. And I'm dreading it going down to the you know April, because I think this place is going to be basically carved out in the very, very beginning of April. They want to start ripping out the walls and things on this property, so... I dread it getting down to the end of March and then we get handed the keys and I've got to try and squeeze it in in a couple of days. That's my worst nightmare. But we're almost ready for it, so that's not too bad. I'm not sure we've not done our retro leave for a couple of weeks, not since the Free Space episode, so we've not been doing... I can tell you what I've not been doing, actually, easier than I can tell you what I have been doing. OK, what have you not been doing? Uh, I've not been doing BS News, although we have scripts in the work, which is you know ironic because we love to remind Alan of his mathematical mistakes. Uh, in fact, we have many scripts that only exist based on that joke alone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've been doing that, and um, obviously we've been collecting some special messages for your birthday show tonight, uh, which we shall let you hear later on. And um, my favourite moment from the show is actually... <laughs> Funnily enough, it's uh, when Drew had asked the question regarding if three sidewinders come into a system and one of them is um, destroyed, how many are left? And that one was directed to Alan, and that tickled me. Uh, <laughs> it gave me a genuine belly laugh at that one, nicely. So, And as for a moment I'd love to take back is trying to explain about the hot-ass joystick and how ergonomical its grip is. <laughs> without sounding like it was some kind of porno. 
Oh, brilliant. Okay, well, uh, for me, this week has been, uh, well, to be honest, it's actually, it's been a week of hell in the Forrester family. I won't go into details, but you know, as always, you guys and the crew have been a fantastic support. And in fact, Elite in general has been a great place to uh, escape to. So this week, I've been busy finishing an interview with the wonderful Senator Drew Wagar about his now completed novel, Elite Reclamation. And also, I've done a, what I think is quite, a, quite an interesting interview with a person of uh, great interest to uh, the Alpha community. That is uh, Commander Snuffler, uh, and you'll be able to hear more of that later on in the show. So I think my favourite part of the show in the last year has been, well, I was going to say LaveCon, but stupidly I shouldn't have gone to John first off because I had a feeling that might have been his as well. So uh, I'm going to take the coward's way out and say that the other community meetup, uh, Elite Meet, was my uh, was my other favourite moment for last year. And I think it's just because you know, coming face to face with the you know with the community and seeing you know, the same passion that you have for you know for this universe sort of mirrored in everybody's faces and just the way that everybody sort of intermingles and gets on and yeah the atmosphere is really really good which yeah it means I'm definitely looking forward to LaveCon 2014 which we'll get onto a bit later as well. But um, I think my worst moment. Uh, and thank you very much guys most of your favourite moments have been a lot of my worst moments so thanks for letting me relive those my worst moment was the one where I uh, I argued and, and, and fought for the right to, uh, to interview Kate as uh, as a writer's interview and uh, I prepared it, had all the, the questions and everything I was uh, raring to go and then forgot to check the audio quality on the recording before I spent an hour and a half recording with Kate and ended up recording it, it pretty much sounds like we were talking down uh, cans connected with strings so that was a little bit embarrassing but uh, yeah I mean to be fair there's been quite a few moments for me which I wish I could take back in fact most of the bloopers in most of the shows are moments that I wish I could take back but never mind okay so well I wouldn't be like that because most people seem to think that the best part of the show is the bloopers in fact they complain <laughs> if we ever produce one without bloopers so you know personally I think you're doing us a great service great stuff well folks judging by the show notes the mountain of show notes I have in front of me uh, we might have a long show in front of us so take off the remlock put on your most comfortable flight suit onesie grab that bottle of Lavian brandy off the shelf and settle in for the long haul this week we cover Alpha 2.2 peak of the week the Edge magazine interview uh, gaming peripherals, uh, DDF topics. Yes, we know it's been a while. Uh, in Community Corner, we have a special interview with Elite Dangerous's most infamous alpha player, Commander Snuffler. We talk BAFTAs, LaveCon, Leap Fiction, and then round it all off with an extra large bag of discussion topics from the community. And as it's a special birthday edition, there may be some special messages along the way. Okay, so let's start this birthday show off by jumping into the alpha. Uh, there has been an update since the last show, and indeed the last update we were expecting before we move into Alpha 3.0, which Michael Brooks has said will be in mid-March. Uh, what changes have there been, and how are we currently finding Alpha Life? Go straight to Mr. Stabler. Ah, oh, thank you very much. Well, I think the big changes in 2.2 from uh, what we played before is the the pilot's chair, and he has a body, so people with an Oculus Rift can stare down at their genitalia. Uh, and also, I, this is my this is my personal. You know, these are the personal highlights for me. I'm sure that they're probably different for other people. But it's now nice to find out who killed you. Yeah, yeah. I think that was the biggest change. Um, I, I, apparently, they made it more stable as well. Um, it was such a long ago, so long ago. I played 2.1 that I, you know I, I can't really remember if it was worse or not. Um, was it worse for you guys? It's difficult for me because when the the 2.0, 2.2, whatever it is, came out, um, it actually broke my internet connection. So, the, <laughs> so the first round of the multiplayer alpha worked for me brilliantly, and then as soon as the update happened, I couldn't get in for a couple of days. So <laughs> it's a hard one for me to judge. But I think I think it's basically more. stable 
stable. I don't think I've had as many um, freezes as I did in, in 2.1. I'm not sure. My time has been quite limited with it. Yeah, certainly for me, I found that I've spent much less time staring at uh, multiplayer um, the multiplayer option being readed out um, and having to sort of do the jump from options back into the main menu, then into options and then back out, trying to uh, you know, convince it to go from red to, to white. Most of the time now, it's, uh, it's, it's there ready to go straight away. I found it's far more stable all round and the scenarios definitely seem to work more often than not, although there's a, usually a slight delay from when you enter it before everything spawns. With regards to the multiplayer aspect, I have not seen anywhere near as many other players since the update as I did before. In fact, uh, one of the little videos I use in my outro shows five human contacts on the radar, but that was all for 2.1. and 2.2, I have never seen five at one time at all. I was involved in the war last night and there were some very peculiar issues um, where another pilot uh, was Karash in fact and we had him on TeamSpeak so I could talk to him and we were in impeccable defence he could see the capital ship and I had nothing and it got to that ridiculous moment where he bounced off the capital ship <laughs> and I'm watching this ship bounce off nothing in the space <laughs> And you've forgotten, of course, the, the killer feature, which is that you can now choose between whether you want the little man or the Christmas tree. Ah, true. Um, for those that, you know, so for those people who just don't take down their Christmas decorations all year round, you can just leave the tree there. Um, and also um, you've got to remember as well that after they when they first introduced the alpha there were a lot of complaints about the the bobble head saying that it broke their immersion (laughs) so there's actually an option to remove it as well yeah so um, luckily for those really hardcore players they are being catered to Okay, well, what else have we uh, have we seen? I mean, the the issue that Grant uh, mentions about uh, you know certain things being visible to certain people in the instance and not to the other. I mean, that's certainly something that I've come across. I mean, I've been talking to people on Teamspeak, and you know, they've basically been flying their ship into mine, bouncing off, and I can't see them, I can't react to them, I don't move. Um, so that's definitely one of the uh, one of the, the bugs that I think they'll be ironing out for for three point zero. But it does does result in some uh, some comical effects. Yeah, definitely. But and this will be one of the you know one of the the pluses I think is when two point two came out, there was like a sea of changes to you know the handling of the ship mm. and also the HUD. For instance, they made the um, the, the target boxes a lot thinner. I, I don't know whether that caused people an, an issue on lower resolutions or maybe on the Oculus Rift, but you know it was it, it wasn't quite as chunky or and so. It, I thought I think it looks better as it is, but I also felt the the handling of the ship and some of the the weapon balance was was changed, and I felt it was for the better as well. Yeah, certainly. I mean, when Alpha first launched, I think all the all the weapons were uh, uniformly quite powerful. Well, now you really have to think a little bit more about your strategy as to you know how you get the most out of each of the different loadouts that you choose. I'm sure they'll keep on balancing it as we go through the testing and the Alpha stage, but certainly that has made some of my dogfights last a little bit longer, and some of them not so much. What about our dogfighting aficionado, Mr. Stroud? What do you think about the change in balance? I've not really noticed any difference in um, uh, weapon load, but the the targeting systems. You can see that other people have have really picked on um, on how you can target systems. I think at the moment there is a bit of an issue there in that you know it's a bit easy to you know to sort of target key weak spots 
uh, with gimbaled weapons. But um, you know, I mean, that's that's you know, that's however the balance is going to be. I mean, I I I, I kind of don't mind really. I mean, I, I kind of trust that the frontier guys will, will go through it and go through it, and they'll work out what balance they want, and then you know, we'll we'll work with whatever uh, whatever they give us in terms of play. Yeah, absolutely, and yeah, that's the thing about this being uh, an alpha test. You know, of course, the balance is going to be off. They need to try things in. They need to move things around and and see what works and what doesn't. But certainly, the, the subsystem strategies at the moment you see on quite a few videos, different people, you know, taking down shields, keeping shields off, or or targeting things like you know the power core and using that to their advantage. I mean, how much of that have you guys who have actually played been doing? I know certainly for me, I normally try and take down their shields, and as soon as their shields go target their you know their power distribution to try and stop their shields and their guns coming back online i quite enjoy the taking out the drives of npcs and then you can collect lots of them and then finish them off in a row ah, i haven't tried that that's a good idea unfortunately sometimes it does put them into full throttle and they just carry on off into the distance <laughs> <laughs> which i don't understand but no i think the subsystem routine works fantastically in this update it's maybe a little bit unfair as a human player to have your shields taken out and then your powered <laughs> your power systems fried and then you just sit there looking and going <laughs> this is just not fair but it's brain fun brain fun i've not really understood how it works to be honest i mean the, the times i've played with it i've basically played um the one with the cargo pods uh, credits and ethics yeah and I, I was sort of aware that there was this idea that if you target the mining ships and fire at their cargo bay you can cause them to dump their cargo, but I've I've never seen it work. I've never actually seen it work, and I've tar- I mean, you have to sort of press the I think it's the Y key to rotate through the subsystems until you find the cargo door, and it happens to be usually the first one. And then you've got to get yourself into the position where you can actually shoot it. And mm. even then, when I've taken it out and it's gone down to zero percent, I've never seen any cargo come out of the sidewinders, and I've not tried it on the anacondas because I don't have a death wish. <laughs> well. I can say that it does work because uh, it's one of the things that I used to do quite a lot in ethics and credits, certainly before they took out the the slight issue where if you flew through uh, an NPC's mining laser, that actually counted as a hostile attack against you, which meant that uh, the NPC miner, who's just going about his daily business, uh, suddenly has a bounty placed on him for shooting you, which means that it's, it's open season on destroying him. So, But he will just continue to, uh, to mine the asteroid, which allows you to get behind him, uh, target his cargo hull. And I think the key is to actually choose the right weapon. So when I did it, uh, I chose just the, the armor-piercing cannons and then also switched them. So it wasn't dual firing it was just firing one at a time and that way you could literally just use one take down his shields and then slowly take down the cargo hatch uh, and as long as you scanned him and you've checked that he's actually got some canisters in his cargo hold then he will actually just fly off and they'll just drop out the back so mm. uh, it certainly worked uh, you know the times that i've tried it but now now of course since the latest update they fixed it so they uh, they no longer go hostile if um if you fly through their mining lasers, in fact, nothing happens, which means you have to become a pirate in order to take them out. And every time I become a pirate, uh, I seem to be beset by uh, by normal human players who uh, who want my 350 credit bounty. Yeah, I mean, I couldn't work out, having done what I thought was targeting the cargo hatch, I couldn't work out where it wanted me to shoot. But then Grant was just saying about cycling through subsystems. I didn't do it that way. I chose it from the, the sort of menu uh, screen. Yeah. So I don't know if maybe that's why I wasn't actually hitting the cargo doors. I don't know. It didn't help that in the last build um, that the little plus sign that highlighted the subsystem disappeared. Uh, apparently that's going to be fixed in the next... Oh, uh, um, maybe build. that's why I'm struggling. 
Because yeah. I had no idea where I was meant to be shooting to hit this cargo bay door. And I wasn't even sure if you actually had to aim differently having targeted a subsystem because I couldn't see anything. I sort of thought, well, do you just target the subsystem and then fire at the ship and it kind of directs all your damage towards the subsystem? Or do you actually have to try and hit the bit of the ship that that's on? No, you have to hit the bit. If you had a gimbaled weapon, it would do it automatically for you. I don't um, use it. I just use, I only use the beam yeah, lasers. Yeah, so unfortunately, you, you, you've been firing a bit blind. In the next build, there'll be a little plus on the bit that you need, you should be shooting. Oh, okay. All good news, then. The, the other big change is, as well is how the shields work, because it pretty fundamentally works how, um, changes how the shields work, because now before, uh, as soon as the shields dropped they would start recharging again and once they got up to 50% they'd come back but i think after you know the first round of testing they decided that um you needed more of a kind of a reward for the attacker who successfully took the, the shields down but at the same time people were frustrated that how long it was taking for the shields to come back up so what they've done now is once your shields go down they stay down for 16 seconds but then they take less time than they did before to come back up i think it was 14 seconds so 30 seconds in all your shields are down and that is actually affected now if you uh, use your energy management and put that into systems. Whereas the first time, I didn't really notice any increase in, uh, or decrease rather than time it took your shields to recover. Whereas now, if you put all of your energy into into shields, you will actually see that uh, that rotation of your shields coming back a little bit quicker. Well, not just that, but um, as the, uh, I can't remember which of the developers it was, but they actually talked about this in detail about how you know your power is filling a capacitor, not not the shields directly, and so if you don't actually have any uh, what you know the power pips in your shields at all, then they won't actually chart, you know they'll empty your capacitor and they still won't be up and they won't get they won't actually come back until you start putting power back into them. So potentially your shields will be down permanently. Now, did they not mention also that if you had your shields would take more damage if you had full power diverted to them than if you had less power. I think that's the general idea. If you got pips to them, then that means that they can take a bit more damage. And I also believe they changed the way the engines worked because yeah. they felt that nobody was putting power to their engines. They were instead diverting it all to weapons and shields. And so what they did is they've basically made it so that if you've got more pips in your um, engines, you can turn tighter than if if you didn't because you know it, it just kind of increases the options available to people and and creates more ways for people to evade because um, if there was no advantage to changing your engines then the only options you had really were to stand and fight whereas now there is more chance for you to kind of wiggle and get on your opponent's six and then put your power into your weapons. Yeah, definitely. And uh, the, the previous builds, I've never put any in, any energy into uh, into engines at all. But now, when I'm in that tight turning circle, I'll make sure that the, the speed is actually in the blue indicator telling you've got the optimal speed. And then I'll put all my energy uh, into engines, just trying to complete that tight turn uh, and try and either get out of a dogfight or, or onto someone's uh, six. And it, it does work. You can notice the difference straight away. Okay, well, I mean, just thinking about other interesting uh, interesting features or bugs that we see in the latest build, I'm not sure if anybody else has experienced this, but certainly in um, Endless War, where this is the scenario where you get to basically choose if you want to uh, join the Empire or the Federation, and there's a massive big space battle. I found that when I've been joining one of those sides, that actually it doesn't really matter because... It doesn't matter if I'm shooting against the reds or shooting against the greens. Basically, both sides will actually target me and uh, and take me out. And I've actually got some video and some yeah, and some uh, screen grabs of uh, green ships, my supposed allies, uh, absolutely destroying me. So 
I've sent those in as a bug report, but uh, I seem to be the only one that's actually uh, experiencing that. Have you guys seen that? I've not seen it, but I've heard other people complaining about it as well. It is one of those strange kind of scenarios where you would expect until you pick your alliance or fire at somebody, you should be pretty safe to travel through. But that's not the case either, because a number of times I went into it last night, and you're not even looked at your panels, and you're under fire from four or five NPC ships, and you're dead in seconds. So I think there's obviously some little issues with how their aggression's triggered. Yeah, talking through this with uh, with you guys, I mean, <laughs> it might sound frustrating for those people that aren't actually in the alpha, but yeah, these are the things to me that actually make the whole process so much fun. Because when you're coming across these things and reporting it back to Frontier, you know that you're actually having uh, a direct input into the quality of this game when it's finally released. And that, yeah, that always makes me smile, even though yeah, it can be frustrating for times. But I think we're, some people get a little bit too, uh, too irate about it because they're viewing it as a game. And you, yeah, no development cycle can you actually say that the alpha part of the game is actually a game. It is literally just a testing bed. And as long as you keep that mindset in your head, uh, then I think it's a lot of fun. I think there is an awful lot of people out there that are getting worked up when they've done all the damage to their target and then they crash or the target seems to become invulnerable and the automatic assumption is that that person has logged off. Now, I know in some cases, some people have actually admitted to logging off, which is crazy because I think it's far too early to take things personally. You just enjoy it, get back in there and make them pay for what you think they've done. But truth of the matter is, half the time, it's not quite as black and white as it looks. Yeah, absolutely. And, yeah, that sounds all very sort of uh, yeah, quite negative and quite hostile. And yeah, the flip side of that is I have seen some very interesting uh, human behaviour in the alpha test. Uh, certainly, yeah, one of the things that uh, that frequently happens to me is that people who obviously uh, recognise yeah, my uh, my name from you know, from the radio show uh, will quite happily come up to me and just park their ship right in front of me and you know, flash their lights or do a little wiggle wiggle with their ship. Uh, or the uh, the unofficial sort of greeting or the the hello for Elite Dangerous at the moment seems to be to open and shut your cargo bay at people, um, which is quite cute, but a little bit disturbing the first time you see it. But yeah, is I that the that. equivalent of mooning then, opening and closing <laughs> your cargo bay? I don't know if it's mooning or someone sticking their tongue out at you or, or what it's supposed to be. But unzipping yeah, your fly. Uh, exactly. I'm, I'm taking it as a happy hello. We'll, we'll call it a wave, whatever kind of wave it is. We'll call it a wave. Happy hello. <laughs> <laughs> it does sound like um, what a does... great phrase that is going to stick <laughs> um, but that's nice it's, it's really nice to be able to uh, you know to come across these community members who want to just sort of say hi it's you and blah 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 there is the flip side of that of course as well where uh, people recognize you and think oh i know you from uh, from that radio show so uh, i'm gonna blow you out of the sky and there's been a number of times where I have to literally just sit in an instance for about five minutes until the novelty value of uh, me being there sort of wears off and people stop shooting me. Uh, so congratulations to all those that have got uh, <laughs> yeah, my death uh, chalked up as uh, as one of their kills. Yeah, I think it's great. And I think yeah, the way that the community are playing and, as I say, doing these sort of ship manoeuvres or cargo bays and stuff like that, it's just the community finding their own way of you know, expressing their um, you know, their spirit within the game, which is great. I think it's quite interesting. I mean, you you know, we touched on this last episode where this whole sort of element of finding who people are and, and you know, it's one of those things that um, that people try to interact with whatever tools they have available and it's just slightly unfortunate in that, you know, the majority of tools that we have available in Elite Dangerous at the moment are guns 
Um, <laughs> so we end up with a lot of, you know, a lot of smeared sidewinder parts all over space. But um, yeah, no, I mean, the, the kind of the, the sort of waving and, and sort of getting to know who people are and then shooting them down and claiming you know, the sort of credit. Um, I managed to avoid that, as we've, as we've kind of discussed, because people don't necessarily know who my commander name is. Um, but what I did do, and, you know, and I perhaps forgot to mention at the start of the, uh, the thing, is that my latest Kickstarter update does actually say kind of who I'm playing. Doesn't give you the name, but it does give you the reason as to why I'm playing the character I'm playing. Right, we'll just keep that as a tease, I think. You can fly around happily in your uh, your relative anonymity at the moment but um, thank you although in fairness when you see john stabler <laughs> commander thane and Fozzer <laughs> forrester and and a fourth ship <laughs> flying around people <laughs> uh, can put one and one together and end up yeah. with four but it's pretty obvious sometimes so to look out for that but um <laughs> Okay, well, when we've got custom decals, I'll just have a thing under my ship with a little arrow that says it's him. <laughs> just, <laughs> just fly above. Uh, yeah, but the arrow saying I'm with this tool. And um, speaking about tools, maybe that's a, a, a nice segue into talking a little bit about the peripherals that we're using to uh, play the game. I don't know if in the last show we talked about uh, the joysticks that we were using or the various different peripherals or equipment that we're using to actually play the game now. And it's great that Grant's on the show because uh, Grant I believe you've bought some new toys to play Elite Dangerous. Yep I managed to get a hold of an Oculus Rift uh, development kit one um, just before they announced that they're not making any more so I consider myself lucky that I got a chance I can give you the sort of uh, first impressions of it if you'd like but I mean come, I've got the track IR system as well and um, the hot ass warthog joystick system the flight system which is amazing my son's actually taken to the oculus very much he absolutely loves it and has found some amazing programs to show off the true potential of the system um and in fact i was trying to come up of uh, adding full head tracking by kind of frankensteining the additional head movement tracking that's not in the oculus development kit one that is in the new version coming out at some point this year did you, did you end up needing a neck brace to support all the stuff you're wearing <laughs> on your head Oh, I wasn't sure what was going to happen. I thought, you know, I'll get into the, the, the ship, I'm going to move my head forward, and it's just going to shoot out the ship and then about, you know, <laughs> off into, into deep space. But the Oculus blocks any other track software, so therefore it didn't do anything. That's pity. So it was, um, yep, yeah, the Oculus in Elite Dangerous is something else. It is amazing. The graphic and resolution is an issue. There is a slight lag in the latency when you're you're doing sort of quick head movements, but you instantly feel like you're inside something and you can see space out there in the distance. You can see all these ships coming in. It does have a slightly flat effect, but then again, if you think about space, it's going to look like it's miles away. So you're not going to get a lot of objects in between you and the the, the distant space. Um, But when the ships come flying over your cockpit and you follow them with your head, oh, there's just, it's, it's an uncanny feeling. It's, it's amazing. If only the resolution was better, which it will be in the next kit, it would be perfect. It would blow your mind. Well, what sort of thing are we talking about with the resolution? I mean, is it like playing Doom? Well, no. It, the easiest way I could tell, if you were to take a pair of binoculars and you were to watch a 3D movie on your Sky TV with the side-by-side picture and you lined up one lens with one picture and one lens with the other picture and stared through it, you would see the, the kind of breakup of the pixels. And that's the easiest description. That's the, 
That's exactly what I was just thinking. <laughs> I thought you were going to tell me it looks like TIE Fighter or something like that. <laughs> well, no, it, it is like... Okay. It is like looking. I mean, it is basically lenses uh, magnifying a screen inside the right, Oculus right. unit. So you do get this kind of pixelation from the lens, um, and that just means that things that are in the distance become very difficult to make out. Um, reading uh, display of text is not very good at all. In fact, you know the words tend to be quite broken. But again, that's just this Dev Kit One. Dev Kit Two is meant to have that problem resolved to some degree. So, so how much of that is the actual, I guess, the element size of the screens and how much of that is because obviously having to render so much of your peripheral vision, which a PC doesn't unless you set your field of view to, you know, something crazy. You know, how, how much of it is one and the other? I mean, is it just because it's rendering a huge area so your effective centre view is really blocky or is it that the actual screen doesn't have very large elements it's the screen it is the okay. screen and i believe i can't remember exactly what they've done in their crystal cove unit but it's going to have uh, full head tracking and it's got a slightly different make of the screen i'm not sure they're using okay. some different technology in the screen anyway that uh, has resolved that issue but yeah it's interesting because it, you almost with something like oculus rift you almost need a higher resolution for the center of the image and lower resolution for the edges because your yes. peripheral vision doesn't matter all that much yeah, and certainly, yeah, just to jump in here, guys, before you get too bogged down into the details, um, Edge Magazine, which we'll talk about a little bit in terms of Elite Dangerous, actually has a really good article on Crystal Cove and mm. the direction that Oculus Rift are going in. I mean, the, the screens that you talk about, Grant, they're actually OLED screens that they're using. And again, I can't remember exactly the details, but the uh, frame rate that they've actually got them running at is a lower frame rate. It's uh, I think it's 24.4 uh, frames per second, and they're using... Uh, the fact that the brain automatically fills in uh, gaps in the frame rate uh, automatically is just one of the things the brain does to get over uh, that latency. So rather than actually having you know, more frames per second, they're actually having less and letting your brain uh, do its auto magic stuff and, and fill in the details. So um, it seems to have pretty much got rid of all that latency issue. It'd be interesting to see how that works in practice, though, because there's obviously a lesson from film which runs a, a little over 24 frames a second, where if you have objects moving past the camera and you're kind of turning to follow them, that's not something that film copes with terribly well. Mm. And I wonder how well the new Oculus will manage. Well, it depends on the size of the sensor. Um, yeah. You know, because you, you've got different, different sensors that, in cameras that are, are, you know, calibrated for different things. So that's why, you know, there's, there's quite a... A rush at the moment towards people using uh, digital SLRs to uh, to do film uh, because they give them you know really nice sort of gorgeous pictures that you know, have lots of variation of, uh, of focus and what have you. The minute you try and do a pan shot with a, a digital SLR, it strobes really really badly. Right. So the sensor in you know in a normal uh, camera is you know a normal uh, video camera is actually is designed to cope with motion an awful lot better but it's still you know it's still 24 frames a second it's just designed to cope with motion better mm. um of course there's there's also there's the you know there's the peter jackson lesson isn't there you know as uh -huh. well that uh, <laughs> yeah, upping the frame rate is not necessarily an indication of a good quality no, let's uh, let's not go down the uh, down the toy town uh uh, conversation uh, we've been there before so uh, all we'll say is if you are interested in the oculus rift then uh, the edge interview is uh, sorry the edge feature is very very good for it and also if you're interested in about the current dev units then if you have a look pc gamer 
I actually have a really good video segment out at the moment. So if you Google Elite Dangerous PC Gamer and Oculus, you'll come to uh, come to their feature uh, where you get a guy who's very enthusiastic about the abilities of the Oculus with uh, with the game. So uh, check that out. Again, probably I think the, the final bit for Peripheral is something that uh, is you know, the forum's quite big on at the moment. There's been quite a lot of... Uh, quite a lot of talk about it and, and certainly John and I have tried it out and that's the the use of a program called Voice Attack with Elite Dangerous and basically what Voice Attack does is it allows you to assign various keyboard commands to voice uh, commands that you just basically say through the microphone of your headset and they're picked up and then the key command is given which allows you to do yeah, assign various different movements with the ship or things like you know, deploying guns or cargo bays to basically just a voice command. John, I mean, what, what's your what's your view on it? Well, I mean, I'm not one of these people with a hot ass. <laughs> <laughs> You've been I mean, sat there waiting to yeah. that, haven't you? <laughs> yeah, I have. Yeah, No, I don't have a hot ass or whatever. You, <laughs> I can't even... It sounds ridiculous. Why do they call it that? Um, one of these lovely joysticks that you can split in half and have one either side of your keyboard. I don't have one of them. Um, and to be honest, I, I'm not sure if having one would actually make me any better at playing. So, therefore, having a keyboard is a bit of a problem for me, because what, do I have it in front of the joystick, to the side? You know, it just doesn't work. Uh, and also, I'm pretty bad at remembering what key is bound to what at any given time anyway. So, uh, for me, it's been a bit of a lifesaver that I can just use voice commands to do what I consider to be, you know, infrequent tasks. You know, things like opening and closing the uh, cargo bay doors, moving power around. It, it just seems a bit of a waste to have, like, a, a joystick hat which is going to go unused a lot of the time because you're only going to ever use it in dogfights or something like that. So I've got my power on my voice, and instead I've got my thrusters on on the hat. And I, yeah, I think it's an amazing you know piece of software. And you know, not wanting to you know look like some kind of shill for voice attack, you know, I think it's worth the five quid. I can't believe that uh, that you, you've gone back on this. We we had an agreement, John. We had an agreement that we would tell the public that basically it was a rubbish facility, it didn't make any impact at all on your game, and that you shouldn't basically invest in it. Therefore, you and I would have the advantage of uh, being able to use it as a control method and actually have you know, one up over the rest of the, uh, of the, rest of the alpha guys. Well, uh, I think it's a bit too late for that because uh, there's a lot of people already using it and singing its praises on the forums. So um, really all we're doing is we're helping people who maybe don't read the forums. Yeah, and yeah, I'm with you on that one. I, I have to say, I was to say that I was skeptical uh, would be an understatement for, for two reasons. One, yeah, all the the speech recognition stuff that I've used in the past has never seemed to uh, pick up my voice, no matter how much sort of training I've done for it. And I don't think I have a particularly bizarre accent or anything, but for some reason, it just doesn't seem to sort of pick up the word accurately to uh, to be useful. And the other one is the idea of sitting in front of my computer screen shouting commands at it just made me think that I'd look like such a wally that it would just be embarrassing, and you know you'd never get over that sort of <laughs> that sort of embarrassment factor if your your missus coming in and say, "Who are you talking to?" Uh, but actually, I have to say, uh, once I'd set it all up. Uh, the, the recognition was absolutely superb. It very rarely misses a voice command. And once you use it, it's amazing how much more immersive the whole game feels. Even though I've got a, a Cytec X52, so I've got a lot of buttons on the on the joystick that I've got, the ability to be able to actually just say commands uh, when you're in the middle of a dogfight actually seems a lot more, I don't know if intuitive is the right word, but certainly more <laughs> what you'd expect from you know a science fiction environment. So 
I mean, for example, if I'm following someone round in a dogfight, I will actually just say guns, and it will literally put all my weapons power to maximum. I'll shoot them and shoot them, and if they manage to get the turn on me, I'll say shields, and it will take all the weapon energy out and put it straight into shields whilst they come at me, and then I'll change it again. But even though I could do that on a keyboard or a button on the joystick, it just seems much more intuitive and much more immersive to actually do it through the voice command. So I think it's a great feature. Well, it just keeps your hands on the joystick. Uh, and I do recommend it for anybody who has, you know, doesn't have one of these joysticks with 32 buttons on. You know, I've only got eight buttons on my joystick. And, and even that's a lot. But it's, it's a way of activating a lot of features that you wouldn't, you know, that it would be almost wasteful to map them to a button. Um, and also, you don't want to be taking your hands off the controls to use the keyboard. Okay, and have you, uh, are you pretty much sort of straightforward with your voice commands, or have you mapped anything, that, uh, anything to a bizarre voice command? Um, I don't have anything funny, you know. They're all pretty. The donkey botherer. (laughs) Well, the thing is, I mean, it depends on if, for instance, I had the same. You know, when the full game comes out, and I've got a load, my favourite loadout, and and maybe I can say something like "unleash the sneeze cannons" or something like that. I can kind of bring out my dual um, railguns or something like that. That that would be cool. But at the moment, I've just got it pretty simple. The most complex thing I've got on there is I've I've programmed in like evasive maneuvers. So it's not just a case of you can you can map a single key press. You can actually emulate holding down keys to help with things like thrusters. So that's been quite fun because sometimes it's easier just to say what you know evasive maneuver you want to perform, and the ship will do it for you while you kind of use the joystick to hunt for you know, your opponent or, or you concentrate on your, your power situation, I guess. So that's quite interesting. So that's pretty much straight out of Star, Star Trek then. Yeah, I mean, the first time I used it, I, I think it was you, you thought I was taking the piss. And I did I, taking the piss. And fairness, mate, I'm still not sure that you're not taking the piss out of me, but go on. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll share my configuration file with you. But yeah, no, I, I have evasive maneuvers, which usually they're pretty simple because they're just thrusting. They're just do, holding a thrust key for me. But it means that I can kind of just focus on you know, aiming my ship and, and trying to hunt for somebody and, and keeping my fingers on um, more important buttons. I know there is a feature in Voice Attack that uh, I haven't managed to uh, configure yet, but obviously when we're talking uh, during the game, we're talking on Skype, we're talking on voice comms, it is a little bit bizarre um, listening to someone have a conversation, then all of, them, all of a sudden, halfway through the conversation, they'll say, evasive maneuvers, alpha, beta, two. Uh, so yeah, I was laughing my ass off at you, mate, because it did sound a little bit stupid. If you happen to have to go with, uh, with Voice Attack, it's definitely worth uh, having a look at. If you want a guide to set it up, uh, one of the four members, FLAC, F-L-A-C, has set up quite a good guide, uh, which you can find by searching on the forums. Uh, it's definitely well worth a read if you're interested in voice attack. Okay, we'll leave that there. Uh, listen to a quick message and come back and talk about the Edge magazine interview. Greetings and felicitations from the heart of our almighty empire. I, Senator Drew, wish to extend my congratulations to the cast of Lave Radio on the first anniversary of their original broadcast. As a birthday present, we of the empire thought we might provide the crew of the Orange Sidewinder a significant upgrade with a view to replacing their lowly and dilapidated Federation vessel with a uniquely crafted Imperial courier, bedecked 
in the latest audiovisual technology in order that they might promote their radio station with appropriate pomp and ceremony. Yet, on reflection, the dowdy, tatty and generally unkempt nature of both the crew and the ship were deemed to be part of the charm and appeal of the show and we feared we would risk damaging or even destroying the artistic integrity of the group by such a generous offer. Nonetheless, we would like to extend our heartfelt congratulations to Citizen Stabler, Commander Stroud, Commander Jarvis and Second Technician Forrester for their contributions throughout the year. I believe I'm using the correct vernacular when I say, right on, Commanders. Yours as ever, Senator Drew of the Prism System. Wow, I didn't know that Count Ducula was uh, <laughs> a member of the Empire. <laughs> I, I was, think you were referring to Igor, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to no, say, is this what I, happens when writers are no longer busy? Actually, actually, no. I, I meant, I meant the Count from Sesame Street. Really, uh, <laughs> Count Duncan well, was probably completely different, wasn't he? Really, so it wasn't a very good, uh, very good response. We'll cut that one. Should we, should we run it again, and I'll, I'll say the right one. <laughs> <laughs> nope, it's going in the bloopers. Hooray. <laughs> oh no. That was good. Um, I like that. I like Thank that you, a lot. Yeah, Thank that you. was yeah, I, I did like that. It was it was nice to get, you know, the senator himself. Okay, so let's move on to the Edge magazine interview. This one was with David Braben and uh the a new guy who I've never actually come across, and that's Johnny Watts, who is the chief creative officer at Frontier Developments. Now, this was brilliant because this took me all the way back to, uh, to the 90s where I would go around collecting any sort of magazines that had any information on the Amiga version of Frontier in them. And I have to say, things have moved on slightly because I bought the physical copy of the magazine, but I also, um, I also downloaded the interactive version on the iPad. And wow, I mean, what a difference it is on the, uh, on the interactive version. I mean, for those people that haven't had a chance to uh, to get it on a tablet, um, there is a fantastic front cover. If you've seen it in the newsstands and stuff, there's a nice, there's a really nice picture of the Cobra Mark III on the front cover. When you get the interactive version of that, that whole uh, Cobra Mark III basically becomes uh, dynamic and moves, and it's all animated, and it thrusts away through space. And it just looks absolutely um, phenomenal. I did try and get it on the Kindle. Um, unfortunately, the Edge is kindle app is actually broken so um, yeah you can't uh, you can't uh, can't get it it rather rather enticingly uh, the app comes up in the amazon kindle store as being for no pounds and no pence and you go (laughs) oh awesome i can get a copy of the edge and with the elite cover and everything and you download it as as an app and you try and run it and it doesn't work yeah that must be quite gutting because there is a there's a lot of uh, there is a lot of content actually in this uh, interview uh, it's one, obviously it's the main feature for the magazine, but certainly in the interactive version, I can't find it anywhere online. But on the interactive version, uh, they do actually have a video interview where they've sat down with David Braben uh, and Johnny Watson and, and talked to them about their vision for the game. 
Yeah, I think it's 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 nice actually to see David Graben in his natural surroundings at Frontier Developments talking about the game because you can just see uh, very quickly how passionate he is about the you know, the game that he's trying to bring to market. It's fantastic to see. It's also, I mean, you know, you notice that he kind of almost takes over, which is really <laughs> funny. You know, the the passion, and you know, I get like that a little bit, and uh, you know, the the sort of the passion about the thing that you're you know that you're talking about, you end up. Uh, sort of infusing so much poor old johnny sort of sat there looking at me going um yeah yep okay (laughs) (laughs) so i thought it was very amusing yeah and i must admit the 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 interview itself and has a lot of concept art and a lot of you know in-game shots that yeah it really does show how amazingly beautiful this game is and the the lighting effects on the cockpit and stuff like that certainly one of the pictures that sort of jumped out at me was the orrery that they've got there it looks absolutely superb and it's the first time we've seen that since um you know very very early concept art and also some of the ships as well i think i might have missed a few in the uh, in the development cycle but uh, we've got the laken ships there the, the heavy industrial sort of bolt lifters and stuff it's the first time we've really had a decent look at those um there's also some of the aspirational passenger liners obviously we've seen the the orca and we've seen the dolphin but i think this was certainly the first time i'd come across the uh, the beluga uh, liner that in game is going to look phenomenal the beluga is the first time we've seen it and also the lacons i can say i've seen them and, and i've actually got a copy of the edge and i've just i've obviously skipped through the pictures one of the one of the things that was mentioned actually that came from uh, mr braben himself was griefing and he gave a real indication of the game engine working against griefers it was talking about you know being able to play with your friends and finding them easily because there'll be instants to try and favor to be with you in your instance and that griefers are going to find themselves increasingly in, you know, filtered out from these instances, which does suggest that if you are a sort of habitual griefer, you'll find yourself in an empty universe. Um, I think that's quite a, a really good anti-griefing technique, because if they can't find a player to shoot, then they can't grief. Well, I don't think he said they'd end up in an empty universe. He said that they'd end up with other you know, negative players, so all of the pirates will end up with the pirates, I think. But it just does. I mean, they're, they're getting filtered out, which is, you know, that's got to be some kind of um, solace to the people that are basically care bears. I'm sorry, a non-derogatory term, but the people that are crapping their pants about getting ganked. Yeah, for those people that have played it, I think there'll be a few people sitting out there thinking, thinking, yeah, this is uh, this is kind of what they do in Grand Theft Auto, where if you get a bad reputation, you get moved into um, instances with other people that have a, a similar sort of bad reputation. Uh, but I mean, is that a good thing? I mean, does that ultimately detract from the amount of variety that we've got in the Elite Dangerous Universe? Can I just say, though, that even in the case of Grand Theft Auto, in terms of joining a game with a group of trusted friends, doesn't save you from griefing? Well, can, only that's because your I... group of trusted friends were griefing you, but that's the yeah, <laughs> by and by. I'm just, I'm just I'm just I'm making the point. I'm just putting it out there. <laughs> I would like to say that I, I think that there's a bit of a difference between Grand Theft Auto here because Grand Theft Auto, you you got a bad reputation for doing things like they they basically wrote into the game rules that if you shot up somebody's personal car that was considered a bad thing and they punished you for that and also i think they might punish you if you kind of exited missions without completing them you know abandoning your friends and things like that so i okay okay so so, so how does it cover taking a player who is too low level to be able to buy a parachute (laughs) up in an aircraft and then bailing out (laughs) you know (laughs) (laughs) that's all i'm saying yeah (laughs) 
They they obviously <laughs> hadn't thought of our unique treasure. <laughs> and I still find that funny. I'm sorry, I just do. <laughs> that's, not, that's, that's not griefing, that is hilarious. No, no, no. The point I'm trying to make is it, it was hilarious. But if, 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 we're talking about, if we're talking about core gameplay and the things you want from a game, you don't play a game which is about heists and all this exciting cooperative t- play. You, you, you know, it's like th- there might be things like that in Elite which come up, which are not part of the game experience you want from Elite, but might still be possible and don't count as griefing. And this is, I'm kind of getting ahead of myself because we're gonna obviously going to talk about this later, but this is the thing that concerns me about Elite is if you take away, if you have a player where the mechanisms in place are meant to stop them behaving a certain way and they just don't care, you then still get kind of unhelpful gameplay. And I was thinking about um, the old Alien vs. Predator game on the PC. There was a mode called Hunter where basically one player is the Predator and all the other humans have to try and track the Predator. Now, if you kill the Predator, you become the Predator and you can score by killing humans. You can't score by killing the other players in fact you go into negatives but i went on the game one time and there was this guy that was running around just killing any human player he could see and you're trying to say to this guy no 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 the point of this game mode is you're not winning by shooting the other humans and he was just going ha ha i'm owning you all i'm owning you all and it's like no 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 look at your score you're on minus 45 and he's like <laughs> i'm owning you all i'm owning you all you just think you know there's a game there's a scoring mechanism here in place to discourage playing the game wrong but this guy didn't care he was yeah, just but, having fun shooting everybody but and that's that, that's the nature of games in that people have their own scoring mechanism <clears throat> you can't you can't actually you kind of hope that people will buy into the scoring mechanism that you put in place and if you restrict the game a lot then you know that scoring mechanism becomes the method by which everybody plays um, and you generally end up with a slightly less popular game the the freer you are with it you know you you end up sort of designing it so it's encouraged to play a particular way, but you will always get people who find something else to, to keep score with. You know? Exactly. And my first experience of it was a game called Lotus Esprit on the Spectrum, where you would get penalty points for driving badly and running over pedestrians. And actually, the game was more fun if you worked out how you could get your penalty score as high as possible. Was that was that the first game that you had that experience with? I don't know. Was it? That well, I'm just I'm just thinking. Uh, yeah, well, I'm just thinking that you know, and I'll I'll share an experience of mine, and I'm fairly sure that you know that most kids did this. If you remember the old cassette tapes of um, the adventure games that you used to get. Oh yeah. First thing you do the minute you get a cassette tape of an adventure game and you get stuck, what do you start typing? Kill yourself. No, you start typing swear words. Uh, And as soon as you start typing swear words, um, you see whether the game can actually recognize those swear words. And then you start working up because, you know, I I had one or two that were, may the gods strike out your tongue. And you start, you know, saying, oh, I wonder how many swear words you can actually recognize. And you start, you know, (laughs) which is completely not playing the game the way in which they'd intended it. But, you know, they'd obviously written it into something. Same with World of Warcraft. Originally, or rather not World of Warcraft, Warcraft, uh, in its first indication, when um, when you clicked on your, your creatures um, they would comment so you could continually click on them to cycle through all the comments that they would make and you know and they'd put all that tiny nuance into into doing that you know why do you keep poking me you know and all the rest of that so you know people do they find all sorts of ways in which they want to play you know that aren't necessarily things that gay uh, that the designers have catered for or sometimes are things that the game you know designers have catered for it's all about behavior you know yeah but that's sorry going getting getting us back on topic i mean that's the um 
that's the thing that's concerned me about about some of this elite discussion with you know we focused very much on how the kind of gameplay design naturally circumvents griefing but i'm just i suppose my concern is that there's just the being a dick factor that, that somehow you can't process out certain levels of behavior in multiplayer games because people do go on there, you know, to quote myself in, in talking about GTA, you know, if, if there are people who just want to ask about in vehicles and shoot stuff, I, I, I don't see how you can stop that happening. There's a couple of things that are just to kind of, you know, unwrap it all. I'm not I mean, saying I didn't have fun playing GTA with you guys. I'm just I'm just saying that as a gaming experience, I generally have more fun with it in single player. Well, I, I think your experience would have been different if you joined us from the beginning. Yeah, but then that's, that, a, uh, that's a balance issue, and that's something we need to yeah, go into yeah, later. Sure. But yeah. Okay. I don't know what, what, what David said before, David Braven said about how, you know, all the negative players are gonna end up with the negative players. That isn't what exactly what I thought. I mean, I remember we when we talked about this way back, Alan and I were hoping for something a bit more um, nuanced than that, which would be that the, the, the negative players would be f- forced to the fringes. That doesn't necessarily mean they get excluded from the game or all lumped into a pot, but it means that you know where to find them and they become a risk within the game and it becomes a manageable risk. But if they're all going to end up in some kind of like GTA pot where if you're a negative player, you just get put with negative players, then you might get a problem of false positives um, and, and, you know, where people's experience gets ruined simply because of, you know, misfortune. But not just that, but how... Sorry, John, it's, it's also it create, creates a grief ghetto, doesn't it? Yes. Yeah, and how, and how do you climb out of that? I mean, how, do you, how does your good gameplay within a really bad environment kind of get you back into civilized space it's all to do with this definition of griefing as well because ultimately what are we going to remove pirates from the universe is, is that what people are suggesting or or are we just talking about you know obvious bullies uh, you know some some kind of what, what kind of metric are they going to use to say that right you are now a bad player you're going to go in the bad pot well, yeah, I, I, I trust them to, to define the metric, and I think you know there's enough variation of play in the Frontier office. You only have to see it from the Twitter feed uh, as to what they're up to when, uh, when they're testing the alpha. So I think I, think, you know, I kind of trust them to, to manage the metric. But going back to what we said about the, you know, the idea of the design towards the fringe and actually incorporating the, uh, the sort of more aggressive play into the flavor of the world... I think is is a much better tactic and it's actually it's not that difficult to implement because you know all you do is you just continually make the core npcs much more much more sort of uh, vociferous and uh, and you know and diligent in their in their tracking down of people with with bounties so it pushes them to the fringe and i think that will, I, I think that's interesting you know i, I yeah. think it's much more interesting i don't i'm not i'm not looking to restrict those players in terms of their play though i just think that it's interesting that you know, if they are pushed to the fringe, you know, they do become the sort of the Wild West gangland, mm. uh, you know, um, criminals, as it were. And I think that's I think that's cool. I think that's a really interesting thing to have happen. OK, well, what we'll do is we will listen to a message and then come back and talk about the peak of the week. Okay, fine. 
fine. Whatever. Whatever. Apparently it's your birthday, Lave Radio, and Commander Grubb from Fantastic Books told me I have to record a nice message. So, yeah, whatever. Happy birthday from Elite Mostly Harmless. I hope you don't get type 2 diabetes from eating too much cake. And if you come anywhere near Vespa M4 or Slough in your orange sidewinder, you can expect to receive an autocannon somewhere that the twin sons of Lupin don't shine. Got it? To be fair as well, I mean, was that a choice, Grant, that you put the most porn music with <laughs> I was actually trying to go for that kind of Kill Bill... All right, okay, okay. Side as opposed to porn, yeah. <laughs> Just came out as porn to me, mate. Oh, that's priceless. Yeah. Uh, Thank you, Kate. Thank you very much. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> Speechless now. Uh, uh, yeah, I was going to say, unfortunately, we're all too busy uh, chuckling away to ourselves to continue with the podcast. No, um, that's fantastic. Thank you very much indeed, Kate. Um, okay, folks, peak of the week. We haven't had one of these things for, for quite some time, for a couple of weeks. But, um, crikey, they've uh, they've definitely pulled out all the stops with this one. We've got uh, station docking. The way they've described it is it's station docking with the finishing art effects uh, overlaid. And I have to say, uh, it does look exceptionally pretty i mean we've seen in fact i think we've seen this particular docking scene earlier on in development cycle but now it's it's uh, it's finished it's got all of its extra added effects to it and according to uh, according to mark uh, this is actually what we shall be seeing in alpha 3.0 so what do people think well just to correct you i think that we've actually had two have we? Um, since the last podcast yeah we hadn't seen the one before it i don't think which was the black and white cobra docking I don't think I've seen that one, mate. Sorry. Well, that's probably why you made the gaff, mate. <laughs> it was out on the 21st of Feb. Uh, the one before that, the one we had seen, was the deck of the Cobra. Um, but we've also got the what looks like a, cock, a Cobra cockpit, although it looks very similar to the Sidewinder for the moment. But there's a Cobra highlighted in the, in the right-hand head, um, which makes you think that that is the ship that you're in and it's docking. And it's kind of very moody. But going back to the one you're talking about, yeah, the um, the docking, the, you know, the actual landing pads. Um, I was thinking, you know, it reminds me, you know, a little bit of a little bit of Blade Runner with all the kind of like the adverts and the you know the floating kind of holographic LCD effect. And I just thought, how cool is it going to be to touch down in that pad? Yeah, and it was nice to see the kind of the different scale of the different ships on the pads. You know, the Sidewinder took up hardly any space, and yet, and the Cobra was you know that much bigger that it could span you know the the, the width of it. So yeah, I loved it. I just think it's going to be fantastic if you get into a really really busy station like that, and you're land, just about to land in your your pad, and in comes some sod and nicks your space. So basically, what you're saying is you're looking forward to a Tesco car park simulator. <laughs> Exactly, yes, and then, you know, someone's got a trolley, they've left it in your park, and you can't get in because of the buddy trolley without putting a big dent in the front of your sidewinder. Be interesting to see how that peak of the week pans out when we actually get Alpha 3.0 in the middle of March, so we'll keep you updated on that. 
And let's move straight into the DDF topic. Now, I know it's been a while since we've had a DDF topic, but uh, this one has been described as a DDF flash topic. Uh, basically, it's something that's come up from discussions that were happening in the Alpha Forum about identifying NPCs and human players and whether or not in the final game we should actually be able to tell them apart. So let me just quickly run you through it. The topic's actually come up from uh, from Sandro. And he says, uh, hello, my lovely DDF uh, point has popped up in the Alpha Forum, and I'd like to get your thoughts on the subject. Hence the first title, Flash Topic. A signature resolves into a contact on your sensor. When, if at all, should you know if it's a non-player character or indeed a human? Currently, you have the ability to discern the status of a resolved contact instantly. The contact representation on the sensor explicitly reveals this information. My personal preference, says Sandro, has been to remove this knowledge at some point, so you would all, at the very least, have to scan a ship to know if for sure it was being piloted by a human or not. I think this is likely to be the most popular system to use. It certainly has some appeal to both ends of the spectrum thanks to its compromising nature. However, it got me thinking about the pros and cons might be going into one of the two extremes. Always true knowledge of human player to no mechanical method of validating the pilot. And so here we are. I'd love to get your opinions and level of knowledge and method of acquiring it to see and more importantly hear what you believe the pros and cons of this different system might be. Uh, yeah, so this is anything but a flash topic because it's gone on for 60-odd pages, I think, nearly. Um, everyone's been quite vocal about this. I think it's one of those nice little kind of simple questions, and it was great to see the different answers because there seems to be two schools. There seems to be the the, the people that basically want to know straight away if there's some players like in their immediate vicinity, what they're planning to do with those players, I don't know. And then the other people are the ones who maybe think of this more of a kind of a space sim um, you know, they're coming at it from a kind of, you know, a, a realistic or an immersive or maybe even just a kind of an experience in uh, like a narrative. You know, you you don't want all of the facts up the front in the book. You you know, you want to discover them as, as you read along. So you've got these two schools of people. The social people, they, they say, right, I want to be able to meet other players. I want to be able to go and interact with them immediately. You know, what is what is the point of having a multiplayer game if I can't find the other uh, players? Uh, and then obviously the other side is saying that um, if if you start making a difference between players and NPCs, then you've basically got a tiered system, and so you know there's going to be things that are going to rise out of that. I can kind of under, I kind of side naturally with the social players, you know, because I, personally, and I've said this before on the podcast, if this game hadn't been multiplayer, I wouldn't be where I am now. I wouldn't be here because I don't think it would have interested me as much. I am interested in playing with other players and what interactions are going to arise out of that. So I, I, I do lean towards them. But at the same time, I have played other multiplayer games. And, and I, my, my post on the forums, and it's the only thing I've posted on this thread, and it's basically that in my entire time pl- playing like uh, massively multiplayer online role-playing games, I can't think of one good situation where the fact that I could instantly see that this cat, this random character I chanced upon was a player. Did anything actual good, any good, come out of that? Because it was just you running past someone on the road, you know, and all you really cared about was were they the same faction as me, or do I need to go and kill them before they kill me? And and that was, you know, there was no meaningful social aspect about that. The meaningful social stuff came out of tools that the game developer had provided to group players together to unite them on a common goal such as doing a quest or doing a dungeon or something like that 
you know, that was the social aspect of the game. So I, I don't actually think that knowing at a glance when you arrive in a system, knowing that there's a human player there, I don't think it gives you anything apart from if you're somebody who just wants to go and kill human players for the hell of it. I don't think it gives, you know, it doesn't give you anything. My thing is, I think personally, I, I'd like to have it kind of as it is now. I, I'd have everybody as a, as, a, as a triangle, but then when you lock on to them and it reveals what their name is, usually that's going to give it away anyway. That's my point. It's probably going to be given away when you see that their name is, I don't know, IP Freely or whatever. So <laughs> you may as well. So you may as well tell them then. And so, but it gives you that level of playing field when you arrive in a system. It's, it looks busy. There's lots of ships around, so you don't know what's what at first. It's only once you target something that you find out that information. Jarvis, this is one of those topics where I really didn't know how to vote because by by being kind of upfront. I would like there to be no difference between players and NPCs. But kind of going back to what I was saying previously, I've become more and more concerned about the random dick factor on the basis that if you're flying along in Elite, if you have no bounty on you and no cargo, there is no reason that an NPC would attack you. I can't, I can't think of any reason why you would program an AI to randomly attack a craft for no profit, no gain, just because it's bored. Whereas players have a tendency to just think, oh, there's someone there, I'm going to shoot them because nothing else is going on. And that, that kind of gameplay, I, 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 just, I find it boring. I find it really dull that there would be people taking actions in a game outside of the laws of cause and effect. So when I say that I'd like there to be no difference between players and an AI, it's because I would like players to behave more like AI do and actually try and get... You know, it is all to do with immersion. And, you know, I don't want to be one of these people that's like, well, you know, I'll ban you if you break my immersion kind of thing. But at the same time, I want there to be reasons for stuff. So I feel a bit like I want to be able to identify human players because I need to keep an extra eye on them because they're likely to behave completely out of character. And and for me in my game, you know, it's like I haven't tried this yet, but in going back to the GTA example, you know, which we probably isn't a fair comparator, but I would be put off trying to play like play something like golf and GTA online because I would feel like you'd get halfway round and someone would just suddenly barrel into the golf course with a rocket launcher and destroy everyone's game. Do you see what I mean? It's those kind of things. If I'm playing the game properly, I want the other players that I encounter to play the game properly. And I think for me, being able to tell when a human player that maybe I don't recognize comes into the vicinity, it's because I want to keep an eye on them. And that's not good for me. And and this is why, as I say, I've been recently more and more thinking about whether I'll actually just play in the solo group because I don't want to spend my game thinking about whether other people are going to be a dick. I want to just enjoy myself and have fun because my gaming time is so precious now. It's interesting. The what it what it you know, and I think you'll, you'll probably acknowledge what it uh, kind of suggests is obviously is a lack of trust in in certain types of of, of behaviour by other players, and um, you know, a lack of trust that you know that they'll behave in a particular way. And you know, part of that is cultural in terms of you know what players do. And I mean, we alluded to this a little bit ago when we were talking about how people keep score and how they you know they don't necessarily fall into the patterns of behaviour that a game encourages them to fall into. But there are a mass of, of mechanics in relation to, to sort of moving those things aside with the grouping system and everything else. I mean, everyone kind of knows and, you know, and it's, it's been well stated in the thread that, um, you know, my view is, 
is no distinction. And my reason for that view is simply because I want to discover who the players are. I think it will be fairly self-evident to discover who the players are, you know, in terms of behavior. And, you know, you've alluded to that, Chris, but not necessarily for, for the bad reasons. I, I kind of, you know, I want the spice that players bring. You know, I want the, the random acts. I want the strangeness. I want the, the psychotic behavior that doesn't make any sense because, I, you know, I think that, that sort of adds to, to what's there. And, and I think it adds to what's there by, by being part of the game world and not being a society set apart. Um, you already notice, you know, that players, when you do distinguish between the two camps, players play with NPCs and with players in different ways. And generally speaking, what they do is they think that NPCs, um, you know, life is cheap for the NPCs and they, you know, they're a little bit more wary of players. And that I think is a shame. I think, you know, we should, we should be looking to, you know, to play in a world that is rich and there isn't a distinction and that we can kind of suspend ourselves. I also think, I mean, there were one or two people on the thread that, you know, that replied, um, who talked about not imagining while they were playing. And I think that is a really, really depressing state of affairs that, um, that essentially anybody really can, can go into games and not engage their imagination with part of what the game is attempting to do by having the whole thing as some sort of emulating experience that effectively does everything for them. You know, I, I guess it is a, a sighting of, of passivity in, you know, passivity in, uh, in the nature of entertainment that suggests that people would take an interactive medium that way and, and not actually interact or rather they are interacting but they're not attempting to you know to to sort of engage their mind in a more story-based way a more narrativist way which i think is a real shame and i I really want elite and i think it's it's core to what elite is i really want elite to be a game that encourages people to imagine and you know and i think that's important to keeping npcs and players um identified the same way but i totally get that other people have views and um i think the the thread and the discussion has been really 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 interesting I think obviously we, we, we're talking about the genre of a, you know, the space simulator or the space sim, um, and it's the question of how far you take that level of simulation. I mean, the thing that made you know, the Elite franchise so special to most of us is because it got us at an age where we were, yeah, we were basically having to use our imagination. I mean, obviously, if you go back to the original game in '84, it was all wireframes, so. You know, it gave you the basic structure, but everything else you just filled in over the top. So, yeah, I mean, now that technology's got to such a stage, it, it's an interesting question that you raise, Alan, as to what level you want to take that simulation. I would certainly hate to think that you, know, you took it to a level where people just didn't use their brain, that didn't basically play out the story in their, you know, in their mind and the narrative in their mind, especially with so much rich fiction filling the universe. Yeah, you know, I think if I was going to come down on each side of the fence, I think I'd probably side with Alan uh, and say that you know I'd rather have it so that, okay, you know, stupid commander names aside, I'd actually rather just play it on a level playing field and you know, assume that NPCs and humans were all going to play the same. Grant, what about you? Well, I'm kind of in a, a similar mindset as well. There was a lot of uh, heated discussion during the weekend. I, I did vow to grab a coffee, sit down and try and read through the thread. And I must admit, I haven't to try and see where it was you know, causing the friction. Because as far as I'm concerned, if you arrive in a, a, an instance and it shows you seven blips on your radar, and at first you think, well, they all look the same, then your scanners, you know, you target one, the scanner looks at it, pulls out the information, and you go, oh, that's Commander John Stephen, or it's um, Commander um, Alan Stroud, and you think, well, I know that Alan Stroud's not called Alan Stroud, so this is either another Alan Stroud player or it's an NPC. That's, you know, where the non-distinguishing feature should be. It shouldn't be a case of you land in that sort of system and suddenly there you go, you can see that there's three players and there's six NPCs. That I can see being an advantage 
to being indistinguishable with the, the radars there until you do your scan. Uh, and I don't see any reason why the icons in your radar should change to make it obvious either um, once you've done your scan because you can just rotate through your, your computer and you can see. Because obviously the differences you've got in the Alpha, it doesn't need the hollow blips in the radar because if you target that ship, it's a commander and that tells you it's a player. Uh, and I think, you know, if you blurred those lines, it would make it a little bit more interesting and maybe it would make people less likely just to fly in and shoot everything that they can see and then try and get away. It might, you know, it might encourage safer play. What do you reckon, John? Do you reckon it's going to encourage safer play? Possibly. I mean, the way I saw it was, if you remember in the first alpha, the text you had when you targeted the ship was with the ship name, uh, whereas now it's commander names. Or Also, that's how it seems to me anyway with NPCs. But I was thinking that would it maybe work if that when you targeted something, you had the ship name? and you only got a commander name from like a, a, a deep scan or something else. Because you have two things there. First of all, it's possible for players to maintain their commander name, but also just use like a regular ship name, which would kind of gel a bit more with like the NPC ship names, so that they wouldn't obviously be players. But it can kind of create this second level where, if you know Alan Stroud and you know this week he's just traded in um, his old ship and he's now, dri- he's now driving an anaconda... And he's called it, I don't know, the Scarlet Letter or something like that. Then you've got some information. And and because you're Alan's friend and you know this, that is useful information. So when you see that ship name, you know that's Alan. Now, no one else will. Do you know what I mean? So you've actually created another kind of information system within the game. So, I mean, that could be an option as well, because it kind of gives you this kind of thing in the middle. Because people have been talking about this idea of a transponder where people can turn their name on and off to, to the public. And I think, you know, that is an option but, you know, maybe there are other kind of middle-of-the-road options that we can explore. You reminded me of uh, Sid Meier's Pirates, actually, where you buy some information in the bar and it tells you your local pirate and the name of the ship he's actually uh, sailing around in. And, yeah, it really did add an extra level of immersion to that game. So, yeah, it'd be interesting to see if they couldn't incorporate you know, something similar into Elite Dangerous. And I think the thing for me that's really frustrating is, I mean, the, the dream of this game and the thing we've always we've talked about from the beginning is the idea that when we played Elite or when we played Frontier, the idea being that any one of those ships we came across could be another person actually out there flying. And that's always been the kind of, you know, and that's still, you know, as much as I'm complaining about the multiplayer aspect, that is still the thing that is most dear to my heart. But I think I just, I have a very low view <laughs> of people I've played games with on the internet. And, you know, it's just, I, I, I'm struggling to think of a game I've played in the last 10 years that I didn't have more fun playing in single player than I did in multiplayer, with the exception of multiplayer games where the other people were in the room. Because, I mean, well, you can go to lands and you can have a great time. Yeah, there's some of the experiences that are going on in Daisy at the moment really are sort of cultural generation, as it were. You know, people effectively are, are generating stories for themselves uh, based on their own imaginative ideas because of the uh, the starting point of uh, of how it works. You know, when you enter Daisy, you enter as a person with no kit and uh, no stuff. You have to go and find things, and there is no story per se. There is just you and other people wandering around the landscape and people who you know and zombies. And so you know, you know ultimately that you could die. Um, and you probably will die. It's just about how you die. And so it becomes about shaping a story towards your ultimate end. And I think that sort of idea really does 
create story in terms of what's there. So you have all these different things about, you know, players gathering together in, in sort of towns and, you know, and, and then or uh, encouraging people to get on on in cars with each other and then taking them off and, and murdering them and stuff. And but really elaborately doing that. And I think the thing is with Elite is that Elite isn't that. But Elite has always been about the encounter. And one of the things that when there was a change between Elite and Frontier, what they actually highlighted more was the idea of the encounter. You know, there was a, a bit of a rollback of how the Thargoids interacted with humans and, you know, the removal of the alien races brought um, brought human society back to this this point where it was exploring the things that it was encountering you know the the relationship between humanity and and thargoid you know was being explored and i kind of see multiplayer as an extension of that really in that now the relationship the other relationship and the main relationship you have is that the human encountering the human and how that relationship is explored you know whether it's trusted or whether it's not trusted and the more options that there are and you know we kind of alluded you know they david braben alluded to that in the interview and other people to it um the more options you have of things that you can do with other players the better but you know revealing that player too quickly it does give you so much you know information that you shouldn't necessarily you know have available and you know i i think there is a need for some trust in players here Okay, well, considering this was supposed to be a flash topic, and you know, I think we've mirrored what uh, what happened on the forum. There's been a lot of debate and a lot of discussion around this, so we're going to draw it to a close. But before we do, John, final points. Well, I, I kind of just wanted to tie what Chris and Alan said together because I first of all, Chris said he's got this. You know, he's had issues obviously playing online with people, and yet if you get people in a room, it's different. And I find that quite interesting. And I've found the exact same thing myself that. I think it's more to do with it's it's more to do with perception. If if you're playing online with your buddies, uh, I used to play Call of Duty online with a lot of real life friends. So we would play all as a group, as a clan, in effect. And if somebody made a mistake, it was fine. He was your mate. It was okay. Hey, don't worry about it, mate. And then you would cover him or whatever. Now, if you were in a different scenario, if you were playing with strangers online and someone made a mistake, you can kind of understand why you have all these people raging, going, "Oh, you idiots! Why did you do that?" Um, and then also, on the flip side of that, you know, you've got situations where um, if if you're sat across the table from someone in a LAN party and he kills you three times in a row, you know, you met him, you spoke to him ten minutes ago, and he was a sound guy. You know, you don't think that he's out to get you. You just think that you know that's the that's the luck of the dice. If it happens online, it's a stranger. Then you naturally you have this confirmation bias, which makes you think he's ganking you. He's out to grief you. And I think that is there's this issue of perception with with strangers and with people you know, and that's what alters the gaming experience. I think. Okay, so all this talk that we've been having about how you interact with your fellow humans within the game maybe leads us on quite nicely to a special feature that we've got coming in for this episode. Some say that commanders have been known to jettison their full load when they see him on their radar. Others say that when he enters a solar system, people believe another sun has arrived. People even think he may be David Braben's evil twin. All we know is he shoots us a lot. It's Commander Stuffler. Good evening. Good evening, sir. 
I'm not going to ask you to reveal your true identity. I think for the sake of this interview, we'll just keep you as Commander Snuffler. <laughs> and we'll plow straight on and say, yeah, give us a little bit of background about yourself, sir. Maybe a bit of a background about your elite connection. You know, what games have you played and on what systems? Okay, well, it started way back with 8-bit computers. I had an Amstrad CPC, played the common games like Chucky Egg and Jet Set Willy and all of those. And then discovered Elite and pretty much got hooked on the spot. I used to play it at home on my Amstrad. And I used to even play it in the school's computer lab on their BBCs and their Acorn Electrons at a later date. Pretty much that kept me busy for about two, three years. And I didn't really play any other games. When I was at university, I discovered Half-Life. I think I was back in 98 that came out. Yeah. I got quite stuck into Half-Life really really good computer game and warcraft 2 ah yes warcraft 2 i mean judging by your time frame you sound like you're a similar age to me and i can agree that half-life i played on my first pc at university and it was uh, it was a game that blew me away and took far too much of my university time and uh, probably accounts for the level of degree i came out of university <laughs> with so <laughs> what about what about other PCs such as uh, Amigas? I mean, did you play any of the, the follow-up games, Frontier or First Encounters on Amiga or on PC? Yeah, I did. I had an Amiga 500 and I had Elite 2 on that. That, again, took up another couple of years of my life while I was at college. Obviously, didn't let it get in the way of my college. Yeah, that was absolutely spectacular. And then, what was it, about four years, five years later... Elite. First, I can never get them the right way around. It was a first encounter. <laughs> Frontier was the first one, and First Encounters was the follow-up. Yeah, and that came out when I was at uni, and that was absolutely brilliant. Apart from obviously when it first came out, I think it was was it Game Tech that pushed it out too early. Yeah. So you couldn't do any damage to another ship. But the <laughs> patch came out very quickly for that, so I was quite happy. Okay, well, I mean, you've obviously bought into uh, the Alpha. This is where you've got your wonderful notoriety from, the fact that you've been playing Alpha to uh, quite a high level. So you're obviously bought into the, the Elite Dangerous campaign. What have been your highlights from the development process so far? I think the biggest highlight was the very first day of Alpha and finally getting to log in and play what obviously a lot of people have been dreaming about for a very, very long time. And just flying around the asteroids was absolutely spectacular. I think that has to be the biggest highlight of the entire Alpha phase so far, that very first day. And then was it specifically the you know, the graphics and the environments that blew you away? Or was it you know, the, the flight mechanic or other elements of the Alpha that uh, that's really sort of caught your interest? It was absolutely everything. The graphics, the flight model, the immersive qualities of it really really nice to play pretty much what I'd had in my head for the last 15 years uh, and to finally see see it as a game and have be able to participate in playing it was just mind-blowing I see that's interesting that you say it was actually what you had in your head for the last 15 years because uh, I have to say I mean maybe I just wasn't uh, pitching it right but you know, it's far surpassed anything I thought they were going to be able to produce in a space sim. You know, in my head, it, uh, <laughs> I have to say the Elite Dangerous was going to look a lot more basic than it actually has turned out. It's uh, the flight model. I thought they were going to go with the same flight model as the previous Elites or the jousting. And yeah. to add the dogfighting in there, uh, I know a lot of people aren't too happy with it and would like Newtonian physics and everything. 
but I think it's a, a very good addition to the game. Uh, makes it much more playable, I think, in dogfighting. Just generally more fun. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, you know, for the for the realists out there, there is the ability. Obviously, we'll, we'll come on to it later. But there's the ability to you know turn it all off and just you know go with flight assist off to have a more sort of you know, Newtonian sort of physics angle to it, which you know, I think is you know, great. And for the purists, I'm sure there'll be people out there who uh, who want to play the game that way, like like Frontier was. But for me, I think the enjoyment from it is literally the the arcade uh, sort of dogfighting action, which. I mean, when we played uh, another great space sim, Free Space 2, on Retrolave, uh, that has a multiplayer aspect. And even though the single player is very, very good, when you put human versus human in it, uh, the flight mechanics in that game just don't work. You end up just sort of spinning around, you know, pivoting around each other, shooting at each other, which you know, my concern was that Elite Dangerous was going to be you know, very similar. But the way they've done the flight mechanics, you actually have a, almost like a World War One dogfighting type of scenario which is really fun and exciting to play yeah, absolutely it is still possible to get into like a circling maneuver which is i think when people reverse which is hard yes. which is very hard to combat because as soon as you try to pull out of it your engines slow down and you generally get shot yeah absolutely and the nice thing about it and you know you're probably the, the poster boy for this is that there are <laughs> certain techniques that you can use and that people are watching other people demonstrate to uh yeah, just to sort of get out of that, yeah, that sort of spinning dogfight scenario. Though, yeah, there is an element of sort of doing the whole cat and mouse thing, but having having fun with it as opposed to it just being a set routine. Okay, so I mean, we've talked about what's impressed you about the Alpha. Maybe moving on to the other side of that coin, what's frustrated or concerned you about the Alpha, and what would you like to see maybe changed before the release? Uh, to be honest, I don't have any frustrations or concerns. A, a little tiny bit annoying that it crashes now and again, but it's to, sort of to be, to be expected, so it doesn't really bother me. I don't have any concerns about the, the game or any of the mechanics in there. We're really at a too early stage to really come out with things that need changing now before the final game. I think once the beta's released and we're a good month, two months into the beta and approaching the gamma, that will be the time when I think people will address these type of questions a little more. But at the, at the moment, the alpha, I think, is just far too early to be saying this should be removed, that should be nerfed, and going down that route. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think that's fair enough. Well, I mean, as the community at large has been very impressed with your alpha skills, you know, we've asked them to, uh, to send us some questions to put to you. Um, so here's a few from the, uh, from the Facebook channel. I think the first one that most people are interested in, certainly the ones that have been blown out of uh, blown out of their cockpit by you. Uh, what is your ship loadout of choice? My ship loadout of choice is the single class three gimbal laser uh, for a hundred mere hundred credits. That is my general ship loadout of choice. Recently, over the weekend, I was forced to switch that up to double gimbal lasers because if. <laughs> I was getting jumped by about four or five people in a single laser. <laughs> really didn't do the job to take take anyone down fast enough. But no, I usually only go in there with a single gimbal laser. Wow. So, I mean, most people assumed that they'd been destroyed by you because you had a, a much more sort of powerful uh, weapon than them or a, 
yeah, a bigger loadout. So the fact that you go with a symbol a single gimbal pulse laser might be uh, quite a surprise to a lot of people. Certainly, it's a surprise to me because uh, you seem to kill me far too quickly if that was your uh, your loadout of choice. I have been known uh, another... to go in now and again with missiles, but that's only when I'm sort of tootling around killing anacondas and someone jumps me with missiles from behind. I'll just load out with missiles to go back and get them and I'll end up in a different instance with other people. And it's just <laughs> it's a shame to waste your missiles. Well, quite, and I have to say, Missiles is one of the loadouts that I really haven't played around with much, so uh, maybe we can talk about that a little bit later on. Another question from Facebook is, uh, with great power comes great responsibility. Does Commander Snuffler intend to come down on the side of the heroic bounty hunters or on the side of the filthy pirates? It's definitely not the filthy pirates. Uh, my nose will be squeaky clean in the game. I will be <laughs> a bounty hunter and I will be working up the Federation military. And uh, another question uh, from Facebook was, uh, is Commander Snuffler in any way, shape or form related to Khan? Now, I don't know if that's Khan from Star Trek or Genghis Khan, but you know, just for the sake of the question, any relation? Uh, I'd rather be related to Genghis Khan if, if either of them. <laughs> okay, um, and moving on to some questions from the forum. This one comes in from Phillips Coots, who says, Why does Commander Snuffler uh, attack everyone he sees repeatedly, even when they have no bounty? Why, when he gets killed, legitimately does he immediately respawn and take out whoever did it? Uh, why does he feel the need to play the game the way he does, spoiling it for folks who want to play in the manner intended? In other words, either pirating or protecting the miners? And... To be fair, Philip goes on for quite a while. And then he sort of turns around and says, I'm not bitter in any way. I just don't understand the pleasure of picking on people when you are obviously a better pilot than them over and over again. So uh, what would you say to that? I mean, that's a quite a... Uh, I think that's probably leveled at the, the aspect of griefing there. Yes, there has been a lot of posts on the forums regarding it. Now, there's, a diff there's different levels of this. Uh, people have mentioned green on green killing in impeccable defence. Uh, that's something I've never done. However, as we mentioned earlier, uh, I personally don't think that's people griefing. I think that's someone in an instance all on their own with another one other pilot and they've got bored after five minutes of nothing being there. So they've shot the other pilot where the other pilot is an instance with full of NPCs. So I think that's actually a bug. Yeah. And to be honest, I mean, we talked about this offline and it, it's it's a scenario that now that you've sort of mentioned it it makes perfect sense to me because i think we've all been stuck in an instance where you know you're flying around in empty space apart from that one green pilot miles off in the distance you think oh well he must be as bored as me uh, i'll go and have a quick dog fight and yeah as you say it could be that that person is actually not in an empty instance like you they could be surrounded by npcs and wondering why the hell it is that you're deciding to shoot when there's all these npcs around why it is that you're deciding to target them i'm also i'm assuming that there are a very few minority that do actually probably do a green on green for, <laughs> for the hell of it when we had that face-to-face -face meeting with our ships the other day i got taken out within 10 seconds or 20 seconds of logging into that yeah, well, I mean, that probably leads on quite nicely to uh, a question that comes in from uh, from Blue Thunder uh, from the forums who asks if he's found the sudden elevation of himself to uh, Messiah, stroke Devil, stroke Neo, stroke Brian funny. From what we've seen of him, he's a decent player, but it isn't like he's the Terminator. So, I mean, just to confirm, you're not invincible in any way, shape or form. No, no. I'm, I'm, to be honest, I'm not quite sure where it's all come from. I think one or two videos went up and then everyone started mentioning it. I've just sort of sat back and I'm not really sure. Yeah, I find it a little bit amusing. 
<laughs> but it has sort of uh, snowballed. I mean, don't get me wrong. I have uh, I've sat back from afar and watched your dogfighting skills, and you know you have got some uh, some decent skills. But this uh, notoriety, I mean, he's even gone as far as Frontier posting on their Twitter feed about uh, potentially putting a bounty on you and. Yeah, you being on their their high kill rating lists and stuff. So uh, it it is quite funny how uh, it's sort of snowballed and taken on a life of its own. Yeah, it's, sometimes it's a little bit difficult now because when I log into the environment, I just go uh, into an instance. I do get jumped by four people. So if I'm trying to do testing, I have to try and do it really quickly to capture the video. Uh, but it's all fun. I have no problem in dying. I think I've died now three hundred odd times. It, it just it's just part of the game and testing. Yeah, absolutely. I must admit, my uh, my kill to death ratio is a little bit skewed due to the fact that every time I seem to jump into an instance, there's a there's a few people out there who obviously haven't seen uh, haven't seen me in game before and obviously recognise the commander name, like Commander Snuffler, and decide that they're going to have great fun uh, chalking my my ship up to one of their kills. So it normally takes about ten minutes for that novelty to wear off before people actually let me uh, let me just continue with an instance as per normal. I, I can't. No one will leave. Leave me alone. If I'm in the instance, I will get shot. So I, that's actually one of the reasons why I shoot first now. I'm going back to uh, <laughs> one of Philip's questions about why do I shoot everybody. One of the one of the reasons is a I'm testing player on player bugs, videoing it and recording it. Sometimes a bug happens one in a hundred times. So you have to do a hundred uh, human kills before you even see that bug once. And if you miss that bug, you've now got to try and replicate it again. Some of the bugs that I've found, you can't replicate them on NPC characters. It works fine, but replicating on humans does. So when I go into a dogfight, I'm not always intending to win. I'm targeting subsystems, lasers, seeing what happened. I'm even switching my own shields off in some cases halfway through a fight because I want to test what happens with my subsystems. If I switch my subsystem off, does it get destroyed if it's off? Does it take damage? So I'm testing all things like that. So... While some cases I'm killing people, other cases when I'm testing, I'll let myself die. That's not to say people haven't killed me legitimately. Probably most of them have. But in a lot of cases, I will I'll be playing with subsystems and not looking at what's going on on the screen. That's interesting. So what are you using to, uh, to record the video for, uh, for your sessions then? It's uh, the NVIDIA Shadowplay. Ah, okay, but, so it's not, not FAPS or anything like that. No. But one problem I have with it is... Uh, Elite doesn't run properly when it goes to full screen, and if yeah, it doesn't minimise correctly when you come out, so it blocks your windows. So yeah. I play most of my games in windowed mode until the bug when it's full screen is fixed. So if I do find a bug, I then have to open it in full screen and then try and replicate it again to get the video, which in some cases is quite hard. That makes sense. And obviously, um, from talking to you before, you actually come from a, a software programming background. Yes, programmed since the age of eight, and I've been doing it professionally for about 15 years now. Which is probably why you take the testing probably a little bit more seriously than some of us <laughs> who are just thrilled to be in the game killing each other. Yes, yeah, certainly uh, testing, testing Elite is a little bit more fun than testing a financial software package, uh, just entering numbers and going through results. Yeah, that can be a little bit boring, at least with the Elite testing, it's uh, a little bit more fun, which is why I don't have a problem really getting blown up. Going back to some of the forum questions, there were a few videos posted up about your your dog fighting technique, and it seems to me that uh, people are convinced that you uh, you fly around all the time with uh, with flight assist off. And uh, one of the questions we've got. 
from that debate was what role does the use of flight assist off uh, mode play in your strategy? Do you think this gives you a huge advantage compared to pilots who don't use flight assist off? <laughs> uh, flight assist off in my strategy, yes. Uh, I don't use it because it makes me a worse pilot. <laughs> <laughs> so hold on, just to, just to confirm. <laughs> genuinely don't use flight assist off at all even though people have got videos and you know the forums are convinced that you know this is your you know this is the reason why you're such a, a good pilot is that you you've you've honed your skills on flight assist off uh no not once have i used flight assist off in a multiplayer scenario <laughs> i practiced in the in the mission one with the canisters and single player and flown around the asteroids and i can control my ship but when i try and do an npc just all over the shop, so I don't even have the button mapped, so I just never use it. That's going to raise some eyebrows <laughs> out there in the community without a shadow of a doubt. Final question, uh, this one comes in from Commander Sam, and it is, so far in the Alpha there are various posts about killing other players being griefing. At this stage in Alpha, death has very limited consequences, so these players are losing very little through death. When the game is released and players do actually have something to lose through death, do you expect player behaviour to be different or should we be bracing ourselves for daily rants in the forums about players or even NPCs killing other players? I personally don't think there's any concern. At the moment, I think a lot of people are viewing the alpha as a game. It's not. I don't see it as a game. I see it as a, a testing platform for us to test the mechanics of the game and in this case we've been given an alpha to test multiplayer and that's what we're doing and people who are attacking others certainly like myself uh, I am I'm not just randomly attacking I am actually testing and as I mentioned earlier when the final game comes out I won't be doing any of that type of gameplay I'm going to go down the other aspects of elite which I think a lot of commanders on the forum have actually stated that that's what's going to happen when the final game comes out and obviously, anyone that's played Elite in the past uh, is well aware of what happens when you enter a friendly system and go near a space station when you've got a bounty on your head. It doesn't generally end very well. <laughs> so I fully suspect that the Vipers will take care of that in the final game. And will be the penalties of being a pirate will be huge. So you won't get people running around just randomly shooting anyone for the, for the sake of it. Plus, the universe is going to be so big that... I personally think that you're not going to bump into that many people once you start spreading out from the core systems. It will certainly be one to watch. What have you got? Uh, what have you got in mind for your chosen career path then, when the the game actually goes live? It will be definitely uh, federation, working up the military ranks, uh, picking up pretty much where I left off when I was playing elite at university, and probably doing the odd bounty hunter. Starting off trading, obviously. Uh, but yeah, that's it. I'm going to keep my nose squeaky clean. Not going to go around killing people. <laughs> Hopefully I'd, ra I'd rather die a thousand times now and get a bug ironed out than mess around in the alpha and not and that bug getting into the final released game. I think that should be commended. Well, for this interview, uh, Commander Snuffler, we're going to say thank you very much for, for taking the time to drop by and giving us your views. I'm sure we're going to touch base with you in a few weeks' time when the next alpha's out. But for this episode, thank you very much. Thank you very much. Come on. Come on. Ha! Your mother was a Thargoid!
Well, don't worry, Spacer. That's right, we here at CDR can fix any scuff scratch and crap or minor depressurization on the spot in a matter of minutes. Don't be a silly spacer and try and limp back to the station. Why risk reading Remark when our trained professionals can be on site faster than you can see? Most of our clients can expect to pay nothing for the physical repair. CGR offer rejected. <sighs> Silly space. Cockpit glass replaced. Physical repairs may be covered by insurance. Client pays call out fee charged at 500 credits per kilometre from nearest station. Minimum call out charge fee of 10,000 credit applies. Okay, and we're back. I think it's safe to say that that's actually quite an interesting insight into uh, into Alpha Play, and I think it probably highlights some of some of the misconceptions and stuff that people within the actual Alpha are having about griefing and also about you know how yeah how different players interact with each other. So we'll leave that there and go on to community corner. But before we do, time for another message. This is Retro Lane. Hi, I'm Grant Walcott, Psychoco from the forums, and I was coming here today with the rest of the Retro Lave crew to wish Lave Radio a happy birthday, but none of them could be bothered because they're all away playing the Alpha. Not only kidding! Happy birthday, Lave Radio! Radio. At least that ending explains why you didn't just do that message live. I was, I was sitting listening to him thinking, why didn't you just say this on air? Because he needed my epic music, obviously. Absolutely. Uh, absolutely. Have, we, have we got copyright for that one? <laughs> oh, we've we got to pay Alan money now. It's <laughs> uh, a great message, and thanks to the guys at, uh, at RetroLay for, for doing that one. Um, Community Corner. Uh, I think we should probably say that it links in quite nicely to our first birthday that we have a new community manager. I don't think we mentioned this in the last episode. Uh, Ashley Barley, the guy who's been heading up the community for uh, Frontier Development, who's been doing a fantastic job. He's moved on to other projects. He's now working very hard in support. And we have a new guy looking after us, a guy called Mark Boss. Uh, a nice warm welcome to Mark Boss from everybody here at Lave Radio and the community. And a sad farewell to Josh Attack. Uh, most listeners will know that Josh Attack is a concept artist that's been there from uh, the very beginning of Elite Dangerous. He's now moving on to uh, Pastures News. We wish him well with all future endeavours. If you're interested, you know, and you want to see Josh Attack's artwork mm. and to get an idea of just how much he contributed to uh, Elite Dangerous, go to badgertracks.net and just have a look and you can see all of the pieces that he did. Wow. Oh, I think, I think he, Josh had a fantastic sense of humour, especially when he photo-manipped himself into the same character that I photo-manipped him in, just to show the fact that he is leaps and bounds better than <laughs> I am. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> okay, and also another thing that Mark Boss has been heavily involved with is the news this week that Elite Dangerous is going to be at the BAFTAs. And Mark has offered two places for lucky forumites to get involved and become... 
well, for want of a better expression, booth babes. Basically, they will be involved in meeting the public and demoing and talking to the public about the uh, Elite Alpha and the Elite Dangerous game in general. Now, Mark basically asked for applications as to why you would be the right person for the job to come down to London, uh, join the Frontier Development team at the BAFTAs, and basically demonstrate their product. And I think it's fair to say that it was very, very heavily subscribed. And I'm sure it wasn't easy for Mark to make a decision. But Mark has got back to us, and I can happily say that he's chosen his two ambassadors. I promise I won't call you Booth Babes anymore. And it's names we know. It's Koresh, otherwise known as John Virgo, and Mobius, otherwise known as Liam Rafferty. You guys are going to be going to the BAFTAs, and I'm sure you're going to have a fantastic time there. Just make sure you take lots of photos and videos and report back to us. I'm sure it'll be a fantastic showcase for Elite Dangerous. And speaking about showcase... Alan, what information have we got on LaveCon 2014? The date for the event is the weekend of the 5th and 6th of July. Um, so, yeah, so that's the main thing. And then uh, we started talking to a few interested parties to see if they're going to come along. Um, and you'll be finding out more about those over the coming weeks. One of which, who will be featuring in an interview in the next couple of weeks with us here, is Marcus Gipps of Galance who will be talking about the Galantz Elite Dangerous Fiction. Now, this is fantastic news because obviously Galantz, uh, people will know, is a large sci-fi publishing house and they bought up three licenses for the Elite Fiction. But apart from that, after we heard that at the Kickstarter, we've heard very little from Galantz for the past 12 months. So this is the first we've actually heard from the company themselves. So have you got any indication about what sort of things we might be able to glean from that interview? You'll have to listen to the interview. It'll be me. <laughs> It'll be me and Marcus Gibbs, and uh, I'm giving away nothing until the two of us have had a chat. Fantastic. Well, we'll look forward to it. Okay, and talking about the books, talking about the, the fiction, why don't you let us know what's going on at a very late stage in development in the writer's section? Uh, it's basically a, a, a sort of a, a windswept, barren space at the moment. I started a thread this week called Quiet in Here. Uh, <laughs> gradually we are having you know people sort of announcing their approvals which is great on the thread and you know lots of congratulations for that kate being the latest person to be through approval um john harper also apparently through approval yesterday so all very interesting there it's pretty much you know we're we're out the other end as it were i'm kind of hoping that when michael's then got time we're going to then see a bit of a round of getting the writers on board to contribute more content towards the game uh, particularly with, you know, loose ends and tie-ins from books to to generate sort of mission content and other campaign information, but we're in that lull, you know, at the moment between those two points. So uh, yeah, you know, it'll be interesting to see where the uh, the things go. Um, incidentally, one thing that's worth saying, and you know, sorry if I'm stealing a bit from Chris here, um, the Tales of the Frontier um, anthology with all the short stories, they are now all complete, um, as in they've all been submitted for editing. So congratulations to Christopher Booker. Uh, Kipper, who ran the project, uh, his story being the last through the door. That's fantastic news. It's great that the Elite Anthology is now completed well. I mean, you spoke there about a lull. What about you, Mr. Jarvis? Are you having a lull with the audio side of Elite Fiction? I don't even want to talk about it. <laughs> no, um, yeah, it's weird because it's weird for me because there, there is all these, there, there are these kind of threads popping up, you know, congratulating everybody, you know, congratulating each other for getting to the end of the road. And I am. Um, I, I'm busier than I've than I've ever been, I think. But we are, you know, we are doing well. I mean, we are recorded Drew's novel, 
Um, we've mostly recorded John Harper's novel with a, a day to finish up. As of this moment, we've recorded 10 out of 15 of the anthology stories. And I have to say, there are some real, you know, I mean, it's been, even having been part of the anthology, I've been so busy sort of doing things. Um, actually, this recording process has been my first opportunity to actually read what the other authors have done. Uh, and there's some cracking stuff in there. There's some, there's, you know, even even with me being as involved in it as I am, there were some surprises that really kind of stuck out. And I thought, oh, yeah, that, that's really nice. I like that. Yeah. And Kate's is, I think, as of this moment, Kate's is recorded. I, I, I just explained my, my doubt is that um, she's actually recording hers in a private studio in London. Um, and I'm basically getting the stuff to to edit and do kind of sound effects and music and all that sort of thing. So um, that's why my, my vagueness isn't as to whether I'm unsure Kate's been in the studio or not. Um, it's because it's not actually happening here. And what else? Well, the studio say, worked. <laughs> it hasn't. I was going to say before you before you chime in with that, I'll just say that uh, you know, Kate has kindly agreed to come on the show next week and record a writer's interview with us as well. So she'll be able to give us an update as to <clears throat> as to what's happened in London. From our perspective, mate, it must be quite interesting. I mean, I was thinking, what was it like for you to have your own anthology story, your own uh, work actually recorded by a professional recording artist? I think in terms of me reading stuff, I think, you know, I'm, I'm my own biggest critic. And it's very frustrating for me when, you know, I got, we had Toby Longworth in and he's got this amazing kind of voice for all kinds of audio and it's so adaptable and then i kind of hear my own voice over the cans next to his and i think ah, oh, my voice just sounds so kind of lacking in color and lacking in any kind of i said to him i said it really annoys me. my voice isn't as deep as yours and he said no one's voice is as deep as mine <laughs> and it, it was just amazing but um no i mean in terms of my own story i have to say um i i thoroughly enjoyed listening to it being recorded and penny absolutely nailed it I think she, you know, got absolutely what I was trying to do with the story. And, um, and you know, and I had the advantage um, with, with some stories of there, there being certain elements that were very obvious to me that I needed to record in a certain way. So, for example, you know, because I'm sort of, as I'm listening to the recording, I'm thinking about what I need to do with the sound. So, for example, in one of the short stories, there's this idea that there's this big kind of religious group that are chanting so even though you've only got one voice actor in doing the short story, you can you can get them to do that bit of chant in lots of different voices, mm. and then you can combine them together and create what sounds like a group of people in the background chanting. So there's odd things like that that this recording process has given us the opportunity to do. And I think, yeah, I suppose the thing that was weird for me is I was trying to treat my story the same, really, as, as the other ones coming across the desk. But I suppose I had the advantage of already having spent a lot of time thinking about how mine needed to be recorded, whereas most of the rest of the anthology I sort of read the week before and obviously hadn't been, <laughs> hadn't been living with for quite as long as I'd lived with my story. It was nice to have it read back to me and it was nice to, you know, sort of hear, hear somebody else performing it and, um, and actually enjoying it. I mean, that was the thing Penny said after she'd read it was, you know, she really enjoyed reading it. So um, that's good. <laughs> <laughs> that's fantastic, mate, and I can't wait to hear it. Okay, well, and we should get ourselves back on track with another birthday message and then go into some community questions. Not, not even for me? 
all the other authors have done one. Just think of the free publicity. Sorry, Commanders, these artistic types can be a little... Well, you, you've met Senator Drew, right? Anyway, Commander Dan Grubb here with a very important message. A little birdie tells me that it's been an entire year since the first Lave broadcast, so I thought pop by and offer them some congratulations. So, congratulations everybody. I'd like to wish everyone at Lave Radio a very happy birthday, and here's to many, many more. Right on, Commanders. Right on. And the wonderful Commander Dan. Uh, thank you very much indeed for that message. Uh, I can't imagine who you were on the phone to. Okay, so questions from the community. Uh, straight away, let's start with some questions coming in from Facebook. Uh, Matthew Johnson says, simple one for the crew. Uh, what are you looking forward to most in Alpha 3.0? says, for me, it's being able to use my hot ass. For me, it's being able to use my hot ass and properly partake in the Alpha without having to disconnect peripherals. Uh, well, I think we probably covered this actually, Matthew, in terms of uh, what we're using at the moment, things like voice attack, and well, obviously we don't have the joys of the the Oculus like Grant does. But what what about uh, the stuff that's coming out in three point We know that we know that it's going to be uh, docking, and we know it's going to be outfitting. Now, uh, for me, outfitting doesn't exactly sound like it's going to be uh, an amazing time, uh, but it is crucial to the overall game um, success. So obviously we need to test it. But uh, for me, obviously docking takes us all the way back to nineteen eighty four and. I'm just hoping that they managed to capture that sort of, uh, not so much stress, but the fact that docking should be uh, should be challenging, but not insurmountable. Uh, Drew Wegar says, um, <laughs> when will we upgrade from the Orange Sidewinder and what to? Well, it's a good point. We've seen a lot of the Orange Sidewinder in the, in the game. We've seen a lot of Sidewinders. Um, what do you guys want to move on to next? I mean, I suppose the, the obvious thing, they've got the, the Cobra Mark III and the Anacondas working. I suppose the next logical jump would be that we'd go from a Sidewinder into a Cobra, wouldn't it? I was actually going to say I wouldn't mind trying out the Federal Fighter, simply because it's a very nimble craft, and I would like to see, in terms of balance with the game, you know, would it would it be a useful fighter craft against you know other things, especially if you used in a team? Okay, but I mean, the Federal Fighter, correct me if I'm wrong, but it has no hyperspace, so you'd literally be system-bound, is that right? Well, yeah, fine, but I mean, travel and trade is like the next one. You know, I, I haven't heard them mention there's going to be a frame shift drive in in the next alpha. If they're going to stick with just loadouts, docking, and and sticking with, you know, multiplayer combat in localities, then, you know, it might be something that they could include. Okay, well, what's your what's your aspirational ship? Uh, what does everybody really want to end up in? I mean, for me, the sooner I can get into the Cobra Mark III, the better. Anaconda for me, but everyone knows that already. Grant? I want to get into one of these carriers so that I can take people on tours of deep space. Okay, cruise liner, interesting. Uh, Alan? Dunno, I'm a bit torn, but um, ASP probably to start with. And Jarvis? Yeah, probably an ASP. Um, I'm, I'm curious though, to, I kind of almost want to get behind the controls of the biggest playable ship just to kind of feel that difference of handling. Okay, well, we'll leave Drew's question there and go on to uh, Luke Chalice. Uh, John, do you want to take this one? Great question, Luke. Okay, uh, thanks for that. 
Where has John gone? <laughs> Sorry, I'm on mute. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> Luke asks, we keep hearing the term balance on the forums, but are we really expecting balance? In Frontier, life got easier when you got bigger guns. Um, would that not be the same with Elite Dangerous? 1v1 Sidewinder versus Cobra with maximum loadout. Cobra will win every time. What do you expect when it comes to balance? So I think he's already kind of say, you know, hitting the nail on the head here. Balance is not that every ship has an equal chance. So it doesn't mean that if you're in your you know, Sidewinder with, with guns that you're necessarily going to be a match for a Cobra with the same guns because, you know, if a Cobra's faster, it's got an advantage. Um, and obviously the bigger ships can pack bigger weapons. And so, you no, you wouldn't expect a single player in, in a Sidewinder to be able to beat uh, an Anaconda. So, because that is not balance. Balance is about um, making sure that um, any given weapon, for instance whatever you pay for it um you know it's not overpowered in terms of how much you you have to you know resources you need to you know get um to actually achieve that weapon but also in terms of for instance um you know the rate of fire you know is it going to put out a, a very high uh, damage per second compared to other weapons and if it is it needs to be hot you know kind of um disadvantaged in other ways so that it doesn't become the weapon of choice for everybody um you know you do want people's personal preferences to actually play a role within weapon selection as well well there's there's a very um very easy mechanic in relation to balance when you're doing game design and um you the the it is often that people can get a bit too hung up on on individual elements, trying to to sort of groove them and smooth them so that they they sort of compare in strengths and weaknesses to each other, and that's that's okay. But ultimately, if you come back to a very very simple uh, premise, whereby a person in a starting cobra or a st- sorry a starting sidewinder comes up against somebody in a you know a well uh, armored larger ship, a cobra or an asp or something else they should have a chance they shouldn't have a big chance but they should have a chance and that that i think is actually the balance that you want you want to still make it um some kind of you you still have to to make some kind of effort in relation to dealing with anybody who has you know a lower and inferior configuration to you yeah a, a high skill player should always have a chance against someone that has more kit than skills yeah that was gonna be my point i was just gonna say that you know i think skill if you can make skill a factor then then that is always good i mean obviously not in all games can it make a massive difference but i'm hoping that in elite you know that that's what i mean is that chance that alan was talking about of you winning it may be slim but i suppose that you know if you have the skills it becomes a bit more you know, mm. you have a bit more of a chance, and it, and it makes it an interesting game because you yeah. still think that you've got a, you know, a chance against anybody, which I think yeah. is is great. You know, the underdog should always have a chance. Just to mention, of course, that the game should present other options. For instance, running away. You know, if there is a way to encourage people to explore other options apart from just fighting to the death, um, I, I think that can only be a good thing. Uh, okay, well, just a quick follow-on from uh, from Luke, and I think I'm going to direct this one straight at Alan. He says, one more, I'm skint on the elite lore. Is there any good way of catching up 
maybe a crash course, maybe a late radio special. Now, Alan, I know you were uh, you went through back through the archives and, and pulled a lot of the elite lord you know, together for Elite Dangerous, and you had help in that. Is there any you know potential for a special a little bit a little bit further down the line? Yeah, I think if we if we spoke to Frontier and we um, we got agreement from them and they were happy with us talking about uh, the Elite Canon, you know, giving some some guide in relation to the elite canon if they think that um you know that it's appropriate to a time to start talking about some of the elements then yeah you know sure i mean i'm 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 happy to but you know my kind of guide is is on what frontier wants um want released okay and another one maybe for john as it's specs related this one's from giles Connolly. he says uh, it says quad core on the minimum specs what does this mean for an i3 processor well, my my initial answer is you may need to upgrade um, because my experience of the Alpha so far is that I've got a quad-core processor, not just any quad-core, it's pretty good as well. And it's been very interesting to see the game really soak up 60%. That's not 60% of one core, that's all cores. And so it really does require um, some CPU time. Maybe in the future, you know, once they've really refined, you know, the code and whatever algorithms and whatever texture generation they're working on, it might be able to go to lower specs. But I would be, you know, really surprised if it will run consistently on a, on a dual core i3. So um, you might want to look to upgrade. Okay, probably not the answer he wants to hear, but I think yeah, I think we all agree with that one. Question from Phil Penthex. I'd like to raise the question why, while the identity of the Emperor is already known, but we've heard nothing or very little about the other faction leaders. I think it'd be great to hear about the Alliance and Federal leaders, for example. And the question is, why hasn't any info been released? Well, we don't know. That's, that's up to Frontier, really, in terms of uh, releasing information. They, you know, they'll make their choices in relation to what's there. Actually, they haven't released information about the Emperor. What we just know is that there is one, and you know, it's a continuation of what's been released in the previous games. Uh, in the past, the other two factions have had leaders, although somewhat impersonal in the case of the Federation, uh, more personal in relation to the Alliance. Uh, but at this stage, you know, we're we're kind of there's a lot of fiction to come obviously with the books and i guess if you you know if you you put out too much of the the kind of context and you know new fictional parameters before some of those books come out then you could be shortchanging some of the stories couldn't you and not yeah. just that i don't think they've really i don't think they've really made a big deal about the empire in terms of duval i think that somebody just asked the question on the forums is it still duval and someone and someone from frontier said yes you know, I, I don't think that they've made a massive song and dance about, um, mm. you know, that leader, really. Agreed. So this is a question from Lance Brown. It, question. Frontier is making great efforts for the universe to be as realistic as possible, including known stars and exoplanets. However, we are finding hundreds of new planets every year, and a new star mapping efforts are in progress to make our maps more accurate. What I've not heard is whether Frontier will lock the galaxy at launch or continue to update it as our knowledge of the real universe expands. You'd obviously love it to be continually kept up to date, but the question is, what do we think? Should the game continue to uh, have that star map fixed at the point of release or whether or not it should have um, updates to the known universe? Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting question, isn't it? Because uh, obviously you can't tinker about with it too much after it's gone to launch because people will have uh, planets and trade routes 
uh, already well established. But I do like the idea that he's come up with and the fact that, you know, you might be able to you know, rejig the galaxy uh, once every five years. I mean, I don't know if it's a question of pressing the reset button on this, but, yeah, we are planning on having regular expansions and maybe you know, incorporated in some of those expansions. We could just take the, you know, the latest stellar information that we've got. And uh, we've heard from Drew's interview that the, they have a, something called the Stellar Forge, which I think sounds like a great name for a development tool uh, at Frontier Development. So they have the Stellar Forge. So you know, it is possible that they can continue adding as they get all this new information. But what do you guys reckon? Is it going to break the game if they keep on resetting stars? I don't actually think it's inca- incompatible with the game. For instance, as far as distant stars are concerned... Um, people aren't going to be able to reach them anyway in the immediate future of the game. So they could be added in afterwards as people get further and further out from the galaxy. Um, and as for you know undiscovered planets that we may find in, in close-by systems, it all depends on how they're going to implement this exploration. It might be perfectly feasible that people have jumped into what appears to be an empty system a couple of times and jumped back out. Um, but then all of a sudden, once the, that planet's been discovered and added to the database, an explorer may discover it. And that can simply be, you know, explained by no one's looked at, the, looked at that system hard enough. I think it's the only problems you've got is corrections. You know, so when it goes um, to the point where a planet's no longer a planet and they've worked out that it's something else uh, and you happen to have a station upside that, then I can see that being an issue. But for addition of new content, that shouldn't be a problem. I'm going I'm I'm, I'm to go the other way and say that the uh, uh, I think the star map should be locked down. I think there's, I mean, I know it's not quite the same as interface design, but there's something very unsettling about knowing that something is either there or not there and then coming back to it and finding that the kind of rules have changed or the layout has changed. And I think as well, I mean, one of the, one of the reasons that uh, Elite is able to be massively efficient is because of this um, procedural generation that they use. The more manual additions you have to make to that process, the bigger the game becomes in terms of data. So you'll end up in a situation where at the moment they can generate the whole galaxy from a very simple you know, set of procedural rules. But if you actually had to, if you were to manually program all of the stars in the galaxy and all of the details, you would end up with like an eight terabyte install. Um, and I think the game would become unwieldy very quickly. But I think my, my main thing is that I would rather just have an environment and it be that's the environment to exploit and not kind of change it under you while things are going on. Yeah, I think, well, well, two things to what you said there, Chris. I mean, first of all, I think, obviously, with the Sol system, with Earth and Mars and, you know, the other planets, you know, you'll you'll have to map them with, you know, all that in-depth information that we have at the moment. Yeah. Um, but I think as we get further out, you know, well, basically anywhere outside of the solar system, because we've never been to any of these planets. And so, um, you know, you'll still be able to use the procedural generation in terms of what the planet looks like, because you just feed in that it's this type of planet and, you know, it'll, it'll do the texture for you. So I don't think necessarily, you know, if you had to, what they, what they call adding an override for a new planet, you don't need to go and map the entire planet like you would with Earth. You would just need to say, well, here's a planet, it's this type. And so the override's quite simple. And I'm, I'm not saying that they necessarily, it would be a good idea to add a new planet to a ver- uh, like a heavily traffic trafficked system. I just mean that if there was a system that was 
previously considered dark and no one ever bothered going to, and we suddenly found that there was a, um, a planet in there, that you could kind of build that into the exploration system within the game. Maybe. Okay, well, that's going to do it for uh, community questions. Just the uh, the feedback and shout-outs, which is nice and straightforward. In terms of uh, feedback, we've got no new iTunes reviews this week. Uh, if you have left us a review and you are outside of the UK, let us know which country you were in, and we'd love to give you a shout-out. Big shout-out to Twitch TV. Obviously, uh, Karash's channel is up there at tinyurl.com forward slash Karash, which is K-E-R-R-A-S-H. He does quite a lot of live streaming of the Alpha. The Elite Dangerous official channel is at twitch.tv forward slash Elite Dangerous. And seeing as he's on the show, let's talk a little bit about Tales from Alpha, Psycho Cow's own personal channel. Do you want to give us the link to that, Grant? Yes, it's just quite forward, uh, twitch.tv forward slash Psycho Cow. And uh, yeah, I don't stream too often, but sometimes I get some interesting uh, little things to show, um, like in my recording, which wasn't streamed last night, but recorded a bit of the war, and managed to catch on screen an NPC doing a lovely little uh, procedurally generated penis with its engine wash at me. Nice, and these are the sort of things you will see from Tales from the Alpha on Psycho Cow's channel, so you know, be sure to check it out. Um, and finally, just a big shout out to the Elite Dangerous chat channel on Skype. The guys there have been absolutely superb. They always keep us entertained. There's always some interesting conversations going on there. Not necessarily always about Elite Dangerous, but mostly about Elite Dangerous. Uh, if you'd like to get into that, then just send me a, a contact request at fozza101 uh, on Skype. And finally, Comms from the Frontier released another podcast. You can check them out on iTunes. And if you like the show, show them a bit of love and give them a few iTunes reviews. Well, that's it for a uh, fantastic birthday show. It's been, it's been an amazing year so far. It'll be interesting to see where we are in 12 months' time, hopefully, well and truly submerged in the multiplayer joys that is Elite Dangerous. If you'd like to contact the show, you can at info at laveradio.com forward slash at laveradio on Twitter, at Facebook forward slash laveradio. And if you'd like to call us on Skype and leave us a voice message, you can at lave.radio. If you'd like to take part in Retro Lave or the Conclave or join the Grand Theft Auto crew. Well, uh, actually, actually, that's a, that's a good point to play another little message for you. Happy birthday, Lave Radio. You may not remember me. It's Martin, Martin Forrester, coming to you from sunny Los Santos. <laughs> yeah, I remember when I arrived here and I was welcomed into the Elite Dangerous crew. We rolled through the town. Now, you're all in space shooting lasers, and I'm left down here to represent. I ain't mad, though. Just a bit lonely. Oh, I'm vulnerable. Ah, hell, not again! Sodding Alpha release. Well, I feel really guilty now. <laughs> yeah, poor Martin. In fairness, he is the only person left playing Grand Theft Auto. <laughs> <laughs> A massive thank you to the crew, to Alan, to Chris, to John, and to Grant. A big thank you to all the people that spent time creating those birthday messages for us. That's it for this episode. We'll catch you next time. Hi, Mabis from the forums here. As you probably know, I'm the one behind all the artwork and everything. So just popping on to wish Live Radio guys a happy anniversary. 
uh, one year, here's to another year, and see you guys out there. Happy birthday, Lave Radio. You've done some stellar work in your first year, lads. Let's see what happens in the next year and the year after that 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 and the year after that. I can't really wait to see what you guys can come up with. Good work. Uplink deactivated. Signal loss confirmed. Commander's log broadcast terminated. Teddy Ride. And I'm Andy Berger. And we are here with an urgent broadcast regarding Lave Radio, our sister broadcasting station. This week, the Asian Captain's show celebrate their anniversary with all-time low listening figures. Popularity of the show has suffered in recent months after host Mr. Stabler was found in an altercation with a farm animal. Host second technician Forrester ditched himself from his co-host, insisting that what John Stabler gets up to in his own time is his own business. Show historian Alan Stroud is rumored to have started his own podcast titled Why I Am Right, You Are All Wrong, which is scheduled to broadcast later this year. Though due to a miscalculation by the host, the broadcast frequency is out with that of the human ear. Chris Jarvis has also seemingly sought other work recording controversial children's noddles, like the latest noddle by Fina Coslot, titled It's Giggles Yes, But Mostly Shits. BS News want to wish the crew a happy birthday and hope they can regroup and continue for a long time to come yet. I'm Andy Berger. And I'm Teddy Ride. Good night. Good night. I think there is a need for some trust in players here. Yeah, and I think... Oh, back, no, you do not. What? No, you do not. <laughs> I'll forgive you because you can't see the screen, but, there's, the uh, screen. <laughs> but there are dots. Okay. And, mate, we can't, we can't keep on going no, on this. No, 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 no. Um, it's a shame, though. I, I didn't get to use my, 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 my analogy which of how I view multiplayer, which is <laughs> picture yourself and a friend sitting down in a room and you've got a chess set on the floor between you and you're both sitting down cross-legged playing chess with each other, okay? Have you all got that image in your mind? Three-year-old child walks in. What happens to your game of chess? It gets scattered all over the place. That's how I... That, that's my experience of multiplayer online. Uh, Matthew Johnson says, simple one for the crew. Uh, what are you looking forward to most in Alpha 3.0? He says, for me, it's being able to use my hot ass... <laughs> <laughs> Ruined it. Ruined it. Alan? Well, I'm kind of thinking that, um, Matthew, uh, I'm, I'm slightly concerned that at the moment you still feel the need to uh, disconnect peripherals from your hot ass. <laughs> you can't blame me for this show overrunning if you're going to come up with those sort of cracks. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> but if you are currently disconnecting and reconnecting peripherals from your hot ass at the moment, uh, I don't think it's necessarily going to change too much when we get to, re- uh, to outfitting um, because you'll probably have to disconnect and reconnect an awful lot more from your hot ass. <laughs> but thanks for the question. <laughs> and that was when I killed them, Your Honour. I'm sorry, I'm going to have to interject here. It's just not on. As the only person in here who's got a hot ass, um, I feel I should speak up for the hot ass. I'm, I'm wondering as well, just as a supplementary question back to Matthew, you know, do you have to shake your hot ass when you're disconnecting? Right, enough. Do you want to say that in a less, I don't know, passive-aggressive way? <laughs> <laughs> Well, it was basically there's two Facebook groups groups groups. Two. <laughs> I've heard that too. Okay, so let's start off this birthday show by jumping straight into Alpha Two Point Two. So there's been a <laughs> but as for John's comment about the body, the body in the cockpit does not move. Just in case anyone out there's got an Oculus and it's working, I can't get my so, arms through. So, 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 what, so, so what you say? You can look at your crotch, but you can't touch it. <laughs> yeah, he's too busy on the joystick. <laughs> yeah, I think it, yeah, you don't need an Oculus Rift. You can obviously just go to uh, to free look mode and look around your cockpit, and you can see uh, that you have got a you know an avatar there. But yeah, thought, Grant's right. I thought you were going to say that even without Oculus Rift, you can look down and see your crotch because. Yeah, happens to me all the time. <laughs> but before we do, time for another message. I'm on it, I'm on it, I'm on it, I'm on it. I'm going to go for... Go He's putting for the needle on the record. <laughs> and a sad farewell to Josh Attack. Uh, Josh Attack. Fucking hell. And a sad farewell to Josh Attack. And a sad farewell to Josh Attack. And a sad farewell to Josh Attack. Josh Attack has... Uh, Moving on to Pastures New, um, we wish him well and hope he does very well in all he does. That's ridiculous beer drinking <laughs> construction. <laughs>